This episode of the Link Up Podcast is brought to you by Moody & Co. CBD is everywhere these days, from supplement and nutrition stores to gas station displays. With so many options, how can anyone make sense of what to buy, how to properly dose, or trust in the quality and purity of the products? Luckily, our friends at Moody & Co. have all your bases covered. Moody & Co.'s products started their life, hand-grown, and cultivated following strict organic growing practices in the fertile soil of the West Tennessee Delta. Each hemp plant was hand-planted on their family-operated farm, fed only high-quality organic nutrients, and finished their life free of any toxic pesticides and sprays. Moody & Co.'s world-class extraction and manufacturing partners are FDA-grade and CGMP compliant, so you can be sure each and every product is of the highest quality. What about potency and purity? Each of Moody & Co.'s products is third-party, lab-tested before and after the manufacturing process, and the tests are available for you right on their website. Their website is www.moodyand.co. I'll spell that for you. That's www.moodyand.co. How about that for transparency? Dosing instructions are on each bottle and their tinctures feature graduated droppers so you can be sure you are taking exactly what you need. With all the uncertainty about what goes into the products that go into you, you can rest easy with Moody & Co. CBD. Available at www.moodyand.co or on the shelf in Memphis and Oxford, Mississippi locations of Nail Bar & Co. Once again, I'll spell that website for you. It's www.moodeand.co. And now to our episode. So, Ryan, what, what brought you to Memphis? So, I am a Pennsylvania native. I can see. <laughs> I can see that trash hat on your head, too. Go, go birds. <laughs> God damn. Excited about next week. It's going to be a good time. I wish you were in town for it, man. Um, we, I would have definitely come to wherever you were. Yeah, it's going to be a party. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so my, my mom and my dad both were from Pennsylvania. My mom grew up in Philly. Um, and then I grew up upstate in a small town, like 600 people and not a lot of work. So we moved down to Memphis. We had an aunt down here and um, my dad came down here for work and we've been down here off and on ever since. Uh, I've left a couple times uh, for the air force, went to Nashville, tried that out for a minute and then came back to Memphis. Like Memphis is definitely my home now. How I feel long like were you in the service for? Uh, four, four and a half years. What um, made you decide to join? My family. My grandparents, my my uncle, everyone um, had a lot of fun, uh, learned a lot. Um, Air Force, if you guys didn't know, uh, loves Texas. And that's all I got to see. I was stationed down in Texas in like all the bases. <laughs> oh, man, that would be awesome if you were able to go overseas, like on someone else's dime. Well, my uh, job that I had didn't involve that. So um I would never deploy. I knew that going into it. But my uncle, he was a Marine, and he was like, do not join anything but the Air Force. They get treated the best. So mm. it was a lot of fun, though. Um, didn't like all the Dallas fans down there. 
<laughs> I mean, you're in Texas. <laughs> and those true, quote unquote, cowboys are not the nicest. Really? Oh, yeah. Those cowboys down in Texas are not ideal like everyone thinks. So, um, but yeah, I had a lot of fun there. Um, came back to Memphis and uh, started going to school at the University of Memphis. Um, you know, I grew up uh, with dyslexia and ADHD and all that stuff. And so school was always an issue for me. Um, and went to school for like, <laughs> oddly enough, math and engineering. Um, dropped out and I was like waiting tables and bartending. And I knew I liked the hospitality industry a lot. Um, it always pulled me in. Um, worked for a mom and pop back in the day. Lost my job there. Uh, had a lot of weird jobs over the years, too. Um, lost that, and I actually uh, worked for a gentleman's club for a while. Nothing wrong, baby. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, worked for Memphis Funeral Home for a little bit, picking up uh, the deceased. So that was an wow. interesting one. Very humbling uh, to experience that. Um, saw a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> Ghosts and whatnot. Um, and then, and then got back into hospitality. Uh, eventually I owned a food truck with a partner here in Memphis, um, actually helped open up the food truck park okay. and we built a couple food trucks. So that's where I like really started learning the other side of things. Um, and then I worked for a country club, um, as a food and beverage, um, director out there realized I will never work in that industry again. You're, you're babysitting 40 year old adults. Is ridiculous. <laughs> Spoiled little rich guys out there, and they're just they're just not the nicest of people. Um, and it's not that's not hospitality to me. Like you're just waiting head and foot on these people, and and you have to be there, and they don't care how you provide the service, right? So <clears throat> I ended up going into hotels. Mm. Um, never thought I would go that way. Um, I came on board with uh, the sleep in at the time right on court square. And it was being converted into uh, a hotel, the Moxie, which is a married yeah. property. It's a newer one. Um, this is in 2019. Um, really cool experience. We opened on uh, the week of St. The St. Jude classic. So we opened up in a full, like sold out hotel, right? Yeah. Three months later, we did our grand opening, and then COVID hit. Damn. Mm. So uh, didn't really get to get my feet wet um, like I hoped, but uh, it was it was an experience for sure. Um, and then, of course, you know, I'm sure everyone's sick and tired of hearing about COVID, but uh, this allowed me to learn a lot more about the health side of things when it comes to the city of Memphis. Um I don't know how much you guys paid attention to with the, the hospitality side of it, but we, we were rocked. I mean, oh, on yeah. every level. Um, you know, they, the city did the best they could, I think, and I hope. Um, but they just hired people that didn't understand the health side of things. And so they send these young kids. When I say kids, I mean, some of them looked like they were just out of high school. They would come into these places with these sheets that were printed off. They didn't know anything about it. And they say, hey, you can't be open right now. And so I'm sitting down with this guy. This is a fully operational hotel. We have, you know, a bar. As you walk in, our check-in is our bar. He goes, you can't have that open right now. You bars can't be open right now. I said, that's a check-in. That's not a bar. And he's like, well, there's alcohol and food back there. And uh, so we go back and forth. And uh, I'm like, hey, uh, what's the difference in what's going on right now with like a McDonald's 
or, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe like a gas station. You can go in there and you can still go to the counter and buy that stuff. Yeah. That's the same thing here. So we go back and forth anyways, and um, I end up talking to the supervisor, and they're like, yeah, you can't have that open, da da da, da. There's this signed document by the city of Memphis. And I was like, well, let me ask you something. I said, when did you guys um, start superseding the state? They go, what do you mean? I was like, well, I get my liquor license from the state. I don't get my liquor license from y'all. I get my beer license from y'all. Yeah. So I'll stop selling beer tomorrow, but I'm going to still sell liquor until I get something from the state. So – <laughs> the supervisor is like, all right, let me call you back. An hour later, she's like, you're good. We'll we'll let you know. Never heard from them again because they, they didn't know. They probably didn't want to question it either. Hey, can these people sell liquor instead of just beer? And then everyone will be open still, you know, to selling. But that was really dumb, man, because, like, I was I was technically considered an essential worker. Don't ask me why. <laughs> I didn't ever understood it. But uh, unfortunately, I didn't lose my job, right? Yeah. But, like... I mean, going to some accounts when COVID was at the height of it, you know, like in March and April, and not really knowing what was going to man, I was scared. I was like, man, I'm fucking wearing gloves into this account, yeah. wear my mask, and when I leave that account, I'm going to take my gloves and mask off, you know, do my hands and shit. It was freaky. And well, I think every, the scariness of it was because nobody really knew what the fuck it was. Exactly. Nobody knew. Nobody understood it. Um, and so a lot of people just put their head down and like, okay. Health department knows what they're doing. But if you look at the history of the Memphis Health Department <laughs> and like the scores that are given out now, I know a lot of the folks in this health department and they're amazing people that come in and do this, but there's not a lot of consistency. So like the food trucks, you bring a food truck and get it inspected. Well, you're prepared for that. But oh. restaurants aren't. Restaurants get popped in and then you have different stuff for like currently right now I'm working, um, I'm working for a company that, um, uh, it's a factory, right? And they have a food outlet there. So I'm over the food outlets. Well, there's gates. They can't just come in. They can't just pop in on that. So we're aware of that. But a restaurant like a bar or something, they're not. They're, yeah. they're in fully operational. They'll come in at 4 o'clock when it's slammed, and you're expected to put everything aside and get it. So there's, like, a lot of different ways that they go about this, but it's not consistent. And then you saw that because people didn't know enough about COVID at that point. So they were guessing and they were like, hey, let's just throw it at the wall, see what stick, and hopefully this will help. Well, now, three years later, we see the spread of COVID wasn't because of restaurants. It wasn't because of bars. It was because you were putting people in houses and keeping them away. So anyways, I mean, long story short, it's just it was very disappointing on how that was dealt with and how it affected these small businesses. Um, and then you had other people in the community that <clears throat> were well off, that owned maybe a bar, a restaurant, and they were speaking out and taking a voice away from the other small businesses, right? They were like, hey, you should shut down versus uh, everyone else and do your duty and da-da-da-da. Well, yeah, you can do that. But this other guy over here that's trying to survive that, you know, can't shut down, that the people that work for him can't shut down. So why are you trying to tell me how to operate when we don't know how this affects everyone as a whole anyway? So... It was just a tough time for everyone. Um, I like where we're at now. We understand it a lot more, and I think we're prepared in the future. Um, but I do believe that as an industry, we need to form a better group that communicates better and works together instead of like, hey, some people over here say this and some people over there say that. Well, you know, I'm sure you know this, the person I'm talking about. I'm not going to say their name, but, you know, they were having bar owners 
that own like like a warehouse and shit like that, they were just having their bar at that warehouse instead of at the location of the physical location of the bar. They took little, literally took portable bars from their like storage units, took them to these places, set up a bar. I mean, there were hundreds of people in this place, just like it was going to be whatever it was Friday night. Exactly. So, you know, you had people that were on one side of that that just did whatever they wanted. Um, and then you had other people that were shutting down because they thought that was the best thing to do, which is fine um, if you want to do that. But don't push how you feel about it onto someone else because you don't know what they're dealing with. Like, they're following all the rules. You know what I mean? Like, this was a point when we knew, hey, you had to be seated. You had to be close at this time. And people were following that. But then you had these other people that were like, don't do that. Shut down. How dare you? And it's like, come on, don't push that on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. I just remember how dumb it was when we would have to wear a mask to walk inside of like Silly Goose for a save. <laughs> this is an example. But then as soon as you sat down, you could take your mask off. But when you were getting up again, you had to put your mask on to use the restroom. <laughs> I remember I remember a couple of times I forgot to put it on. I was like, oh, fuck. I'm, I don't get this place shut down. I don't want to get blamed. You know, so I ran really back fast in my seat, grabbed my mask, put it on really fast. Well, yeah, COVID disappears when you sit down. <laughs> yeah. right? Or in your booth. Or it, it goes away after 10 p.m. Or it comes back at 10 p.m. Oh, whatever that's it right. Was. I forgot about that. Man, I've been seeing these memes about wild shit that people are doing during COVID, man. It's, it is definitely a time that will never be forgotten. But uh, also, it's a time that nobody is ever going to repeat that again. Like, no one's going to shut their business down ever again. No. Like, because the government or just Shelby County, Shelby County said so. There's yeah. no way. Yeah, we learned that, that uh, everyone... Uh, not everyone, but a lot of the policies that are getting put in place just were, were guesses. Um, and I had friends on both sides of this, right? I had friends that were like in the industry. And obviously when you're in an industry and it's affecting you directly, you're going to feel a different way than that person that's outside that bubble. Um, so I had friends that were like, well, they had to do something. Okay. Well, yeah, but just because you had to do something, does that mean you had to go that extreme with it? And I, I don't think it was reacted the same way. I think we needed more information first. You know what I mean? So uh, moving forward, hopefully <laughs> hopefully we don't have another, another pandemic again. <laughs> yeah, that because it's just going to be buck wild. Memphis definitely. It's going to be like that little balloon we shot down yesterday. <laughs> how How creepy is that? Oh, my gosh. Like, I mean, we had two of them, right? There, there. So one lady found one floating above Montana, like the the mm -hmm. Chinese satellites disguised as a balloon, and then another one. The one they shot down was in South Carolina. Yeah, it was so just was like it was like one. Oh, the same one. They found one in Latin America, but apparently this has been going on for years, though. It's really? New. Yeah, this one was just visible. Mm. So that's why the optics look bad if they don't do something about it. So I think it's more of a PR thing. So, and the wild thing about so it, we, oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, so when I was in the Air Force, part of um, my training was in Intel. So, um, you know, we got to learn about a lot of this interesting things that like most folks don't know about. Uh, for example, so like, you know, we could have gotten those bubbles down right away, right? Yeah. Um, now, this wasn't confirmed or whatever, but uh, when um, Kim Jong un was testing his missiles, and they kept blowing up right when they took off. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, we have technology. We have satellites. We have all this stuff where literally all you do is aim it at whatever you want. And so supposedly or allegedly, whatever you want to say, uh, we were blowing those up to make mess with them. 
Like, we're fucking with him to make him think he wasn't able to, like, launch them. It was pretty funny. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we have, like, satellites. Like, when we were in training, like, they had us uh, raise our hands and say, hey, what town are you from? Just picked a random person. And uh, they were like, all right, what golf course do you have in your town? They would take steer it towards that. They would look at this guy on the green, and then they would look at the cup. And they would zoom it into the ball in the cup, and you could see the grains on the ball. Jeez. Wow. Like, that's how good it is. And this is, like, 10 years ago. So it's so, looking better now. Oh, yeah. Well, who is it? Uh, Colt Poppy said that the 4K is from the government. Came up with that, like, in the 70s or something. Like oh, that. yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. So, like, we're just now having it in regular life, but they've been having it for decades. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, there's, there's so many things that... Like, uh, I mean, acid, like LSD, like that was something that they were using heavily back in the seventies and the eighties to see what it could do to like your mind and help like, like the mind control Mm -hmm. stuff and all that. So who knows? And then they realized that it's better. I mean, it was messed up what they were doing back then, but they were using it to like interview people, if that's what you want to call it. Oh (laughs) yeah. To try to get answers and these people were just talking about aliens because that's what they were seeing. I mean, that's what it did. It made you see things that may or may not be there. Do you wish you were to stay in the air force longer? You know, I think about it. Um, So I would probably, I would be like eight years away from retirement, um, which would be cool. But I was thinking about this the other day Um, where I'm at now. um, You know, I was, when I'm 18, I'm going out into the world and I'm trying to picture what I wanted to be and where I wanted to be. <clears throat> I feel like I've achieved what I wanted to be when I was 18, um, where I'm at. So I'm super happy with where I'm at. I think it would be cool to still be a part of the Air Force, but I like having the freedom to do with what, what I want instead of like the government because it's super strict. Like, I mean, you're still able to go out and have fun, but you know, you're not able to go smoke weed. You're not able to go drink more than a hundred miles away from your base. Right. There's all these like weird rules. Um, and they're there for a reason. I get why they're there, but I like to, at the drop of a hat, fly up to Philly and watch the Super Bowl. Like you're doing in Philly. You know what I mean? (laughs) And you can't do that when you're in the military. Like you have to get approval from so many levels. Um, plus I'm making a lot more money now Mm. with this hospitality industry versus being in the military. So, I mean, not everything's about money too. Um, you know, I've finally achieved one of my big goals, um, which is owning a restaurant. So <clears throat> COVID, blessing and a curse, right? Yeah. So the one good thing about it uh, for me personally is um, I was able to go into a partnership with someone else in Memphis and buy Front Street Deli. Um, you know, I I got excited about it. So John Hodge, who you guys know, yeah, he's the one that we bought it from. Um he rebranded it, made it look really, really nice. Um, it's been part of Memphis for 50 years. I mean, it's the oldest deli in Memphis. It was part of, you know, Tom Cruise was in yeah. there. and The firm, right? The firm, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, most recently, um, Young Rock shot outside there. That's Not right. inside. We were, under, we were under construction and stuff, but he was there, too. Um, and so, over the last year, we took the time to remodel the place. So, we're actually getting ready to hopefully open it about a month. It just, it's taken so long with the supply lines and all that. Um, so we're going to keep it true to what it was, uh, keep the menu, keep the cold cuts. Um, and then I want to add on my Philly 
uh, side of things, <laughs> yeah. I plan to add a Philly cheesesteak, a true Philly cheesesteak to the menu. Um, you know, people do Philly in Memphis and it's fine. They try. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, there's a few aspects of the Philly that I feel are important that haven't been done here. I know this is like a crazy thing to talk about, like a certain food, but this is something that I'm so excited about. Um, bringing those Amarosa rolls in from Philly. You know, the bread is important. Our yeah. water or sorry, water. Yeah. Our water yeah. <laughs> up in Philly is like what makes Philly bread like the best. Like it's, it's a weird thing to talk about because, you know, Memphis water is badass by itself, but there's something extra there. Um, so I'll be bringing that in and, uh, then we'll also be doing, uh, some gourmet hot dogs too. So that'll be like our hot side of it. And then we have our cold cuts and we're also putting big windows in there. We want to activate that corner again. Um, back in the day, uh, Bugsby, the original owner, he would, uh, on Fridays, and this is the story that was relayed to me, um, he would have live music. He'd bring a cooler out with beer and all the politicians and lawyers on every Friday would gather on that corner and it'd be like a, a meetup almost like you would talk about what's going on, friends and all that. So I want to try to activate that corner a little bit more than what it's been in the past and just try to bring back that community feel. Um, there's a cool picture that we have there of the 1960s. I think they had a whole carnival on front street. Wow. I mean, the whole street had this massive carnival. So, like, downtown had a lot of cool things going for yeah. it back in the day. And I feel like we've – I love Beale Street, and I want to be a part of Beale Street. Like, that's my next big goal is um, to do something on Beale Street. We'll see if it happens. But uh, Beale Street's such an important thing, and I feel like everyone focuses on that, the tourism and everything. But there's so much more in downtown and in Memphis in general that – you know, there's not just Elvis. There's not just Beale Street. There's other things that we need to show the tourism side and, and people that live out in Carville and Germantown. I mean, you know, when they come down or when they think about Memphis, what do they hear about? The murders, the drinking, the drunkness, you know, there's there's good food. There's good places to eat and there's stuff that's always opening up. I mean, look at uh, that new place. <laughs> Ibis. Uh, uh, well, the Ibis opened yeah. up, but then the lobbyist, too. Oh, yeah. It's a beautiful spot now. Have you uh, eaten there yet? Not yet, but I mean, I went in there to check out the decor. Yeah. It's awesome. I mean, it's a great spot to go before you go out, before you go to the Orpheum. So that's what we need downtown more. And I think that's where we're heading. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm hopeful that <laughs> I can uh, be more part of the hospitality industry. That's my goal. Um, but again, back to what I was saying earlier, 18 year old me. You know, and, and or even 22 year old me, I, I wanted something. And now I feel like I've finally gotten to that point. And it's like, okay, I feel <laughs> back then you, you're like, oh, I can take the break. But now I'm like, oh no, I want to keep going. I want more. I want to do more. And it's not that I want it for myself. I honestly believe in the city. I honestly, I love history. I know where we were and I know where we can go. You know what I mean? Like there's so much potential here. I mean, just look at what um, South Main was, what, maybe 20 years ago. There was nothing but Ernestine Hazel Arcade. You just you didn't those. go down there. No. You went, you know, if you had a friend come in, you took them to the arcade and then the uh, Ernestine was across the street from each other. That was it. You didn't have all those shops along the street and all that stuff. You know, it's it's, it's definitely changed. Yeah. I mean, it, you have what? Three hotels. Oh, yeah, there sorry. Now? I forgot about the Grand Central and all that stuff. Yeah. So you have that, you, I mean, you have all the restaurants, I mean, and we have new stuff coming in like every day. Um, and then also, you know, I live down there now, like, it's so nice. Like you, you just walk out your front door and there's like 
eight things you can pick from right yeah. there. You know what I mean? Plus the South Main Association, which is one that I've been involved with um, over the years. Um, you know, they, they really activate that with the, what is it? Every, the last Friday of every month they do the, the, the art, the, the trolley, trolley, trolley night. night. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's nice to have a community uh, focused event once a month as well. Um, and that was the one thing, you know, I got involved with it right before COVID and then the shutdown happened. So it's nice to have that stuff come back too. Hmm. Is that the one that Jared Price is part of, or is it something, is that one called something different? No, Jared is part of the DNA, uh, or yeah, DNA, yeah, Downtown Neighborhood Association. Oh, okay. Um, so the South Main Association is just focused on the South Main part. Got you. Um, <laughs> and I didn't know this, but the, the, the bylaws were drawn up a long time ago before me. I mean, it's been around for a long time, um, and it doesn't include all the way up to where South Main actually starts. It's mainly focused towards uh, like the arcade area. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> obviously my goal would be to get Front Street involved yeah. in that. I want them to be uh, part of that too. Um, and then of course the DNA, like they've been doing a lot of great things too. Um, they're pushing for the, the, the big thing downtown. Did you guys see this the other day? Um, the amphitheater. Mm-mm. So they're working on doing an event to raise awareness and raise money to get the amphitheater funding, which oh, is huge. Nice. The downtown association is the da- one hosting the, this? The, the DNA, Downtown yeah. Neighborhood Association, I think. Right? He's, he was, um, he's been talking about trying to get some money to renovate that thing for a while. And this would be great, man. For them getting, he's getting it together for them. Well, think back, uh, when was it? Early or like late 2000s. Oh, 93X, you remember that? Yeah, 93X Fest. Yeah, like, that was awesome. I, I remember the night that 93X went away. So oh, really? me and my friends were playing poker. We were listening, and, and the, the disc jockey got on there, and she goes, yeah, we just had, like, big meetings today. I don't know what's going on, but we'll find out tomorrow. And then the next day, it's like, ESPN Radio. <laughs> 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 what the heck? That's so fucked. Yeah. Um, I'm off, you know, you know, do you remember Twitch? Uh, I think I've met him a few times. Yeah, uh, he's been on here, and you know he's still. Some people still recognize him as Twitch. Really? Yeah, he's like, oh yeah, that's me. <laughs> when he changed his name on uh, so on Facebook on on Facebook it's just, um, John Twitch Herrero, and then on Instagram it's just Ruby Red Media, which mm-hmm. is his company, you know. But I thought it was so funny that somebody still recognized him. I was like, don't nobody know your old ass now, man. <laughs> like, come on. But yeah, I mean, I think it's important to bring event spaces down, not just the FedEx Forum. You know, everyone like I can't afford to go there all the time. I wanted to go see Chappelle, Chappelle and yeah. and all that, but man, the tickets were just insane. So when you start having these other event spaces open up, it gives you an opportunity to, you know, bring more acts in, and then it's not. I mean, it's more cost effective too, right? Like instead of paying two, three hundred dollars a ticket, you might be able to go see an event for like forty, fifty bucks, which is what we need. Yeah. yeah Cause like with the FedEx form has a no compete clause and it's like super hard to get around. I mean, it's impossible to get around it apparently. Mm-hmm. Well, and that that's not just the FedEx forum too. Um, you know, Memphis may also, uh, yeah. they, they, they have a big thing. I think it's like 90 days out both ways on something. So, uh, you know, I got an opportunity last year, uh, for, uh, New Year. So one thing that I've wanted to do is bring like more events into Memphis. Right. Um, and I felt like we kind of just went to this stale place where we weren't bringing big things in on holidays. 
Um, and so, uh, I got the opportunity to meet, uh, Elizabeth Sullivan last year, um, Sullivan agency, um, and was talking to her about it. I was like, Hey, you know, we have new year's coming up. And this is when I was still with the Moxie. And I was like, what, how awesome would it be to like throw like a big new year's bash with someone, not just like something normal. <clears throat> um, just like, you know, the Peabody's great. I love it. DJ Epic's an amazing DJ. I've worked with him a lot. Um, he, he's there in the summertime and all that. Like you get to see these DJs throughout the year, but I was like, this is new year's. Like, why don't we do something special? So I started reaching out to, uh, a couple different, um, musicians in the, in the area, uh, that were from Memphis and I was working through it and I got it pretty much set up. We raised the money. We were working on, um, the, the minor details. And then the ownership of the Moxie pulled it out from under me and said, Nope, we're not doing it. I was like, what? Like I did all this work. And so I went to a couple other places and because of COVID, uh, there was like a big outbreak at this time last year. And so the staff wasn't there. I was like, all right, so how can I do this? I want this to happen. I found the guy. Um, and so luckily, um, uh, Tim Quinn, um, who is an awesome guy, downtown hospitality guy, been in the industry for a long time. Um, we worked together and we were able to throw it at the Clover Club. I don't know if you guys have ever yeah. heard of it. Me and Tim actually grew up together in Westminster Apartments. Oh, no way. Yeah, him, okay. and, his, him and his brother Anthony and Michael, right? Yeah. I think so, yeah. yeah. So they have that cool spot underneath mm-hmm. the Clover Club, right? Um, and this is like, they were still relatively new to having that space. And we, uh, like, they built a stage for us, right? And so I ended up. Uh, being able to get DJ Paul from three, six in and computer. And this is when I first met computer. We brought them in, sold VIPs. We would have actually, <laughs> we like broke even on the event because there was like 70, 80 people that were supposed to come that got COVID like nothing you can do mm. about that. So we broke mm. even on the event, but it was such a cool learning experience. I learned so much working with uh, Elizabeth, working with Tim and just doing the event in general. Like there's so much that goes to this. Um, but I just remember like getting to announce Paul coming up to the stage for that countdown. Right. And then him performing like him, like singing songs and stuff. Little white was up there and Mrs. White was up there too, <laughs> having a blast. But I was like, I was looking out on this crowd. I was like, dude, this, like this is an awesome feeling getting like, I didn't make any money on it. Yeah. We actually lost money on it, but like seeing all these people and I did something that like all these people got to experience. Yeah. Like it was just such a like euphoric moment for me, like a aha moment. I was like, dude, I want to do more of this. Like, how do I figure this out? Um, and so, you know, I moved jobs and which took up a lot of my time. Um, and I still have that passion and I want to try to do something even if the amphitheater doesn't happen. I think that Island has some opportunity to do some other stuff. Um, and so I want to try to like bring something like that to Memphis every year. Is it owned by the city or it's operated by the park services? I think, okay. I think because shit, if they don't want to do anything with it. Sell it to somebody that's good. Well, that will do something with <laughs> right? it, you know, like, like you, you said you do something with it, like, whatever. You I know? wish, like, I wish. Yeah. Um, I, I think from what I understand, I think it's the Memphis city parks that operate it. And I think the city owns it. I'm not sure the details on it, but um, I think if we raise enough awareness, um, which is what the DNA is doing, I think, you know, you can keep pushing forward on that and make more people aware. Hey, this is what's going on. This is why it's sitting here. Let's raise money. Let's 
force these people to do it by bringing the money to them if if they can't find it themselves obviously they're focused on tom lee park and what's going on there and i know that's a very polarized man (laughs) yeah it is polarized uh thing there um and you know i think that's a good to bad thing there's a lot of good things with it and there's a lot of um worries with tom lee park um do I think we should have invested that amount of money on that when we have an amphitheater that could have brought in revenue to the city? Um, I don't, I don't think that was a smart move, but uh, Hey, you know, it's time for the citizens to set up and raise money ourselves. What do you think about the layout for Tommy park? It's starting to look a lot better <laughs> when it first started. Uh, I was like, Oh my God, this looks what like is a going shit on? show. <laughs> um, the steps on the right side there yeah. leading up to uh, what is that? The fish, the new fish, fancies, fancies, yeah. you know, that the stairs and all mm-hmm. that, I, that looks beautiful. I think they did a really good job of that. Um, they still have like a pretty large field there. Um, but one of the things, and I agree with this, the worries is how, shut off how much plants and stuff it's going to look nice but we're in a big city and with big cities we deal with uh folks that are displaced or homeless right and i think that's going to be the biggest worry are we going to have enough people blue suede police whatever to patrol that area to stop you know people from messing that up laying in there putting in tents and all that stuff that and then you know the other thing is do people feel safe? Like Central Park was a scary place for a long time until they put that police force together. I, I forget what they're called. I think they're like the Central Park sheriffs or something like that. But uh, for a while, like people did not want to go in there. And so when they put that police force in and they had the people over there just walking around, made things a lot better. I don't know if Memphis will ever do that. I mean, we cut funding for a long time to the police department. And, and I mean, as you see what's going on now with the department and and there's a lot of issues on so many levels, it worries me. I think hopefully maybe blue suede, if we invest more into that and just have more of a presence down there. Uh, I've worked closely with blue suede. They're a great organization. I think they've made people feel a lot safer just being in that presence. I know they can't do a lot. I mean, they're, they're there as like, Hey, we got to call the cops type of thing. But the fact that they're present, I think helps a lot. So that's my biggest concern with that area is what exactly is uh, the blue suede people's role? So um, from my understanding, they're essentially like a step up from like security and a step down from police. They're like right in that middle. Okay. Area, right. Um, they don't have the authority to, to detain people, um, but they'll like. Now, obviously, if someone's being assaulted or something like that, where they actually see the crime, we as citizens have that same yeah. thing. Like we can get involved as well. Yeah. Um, but they are able to like call the cops. They have a direct line to the police department, that type of thing. And they're they're like they work in tandem with the police department. Um, but yeah, I mean, the fact that they've just been down in the north main area, so. Um, the Moxie, you know, the front porch of that hotel sits right on Main Street. So, and then we have the park right there too. Yeah. Um, I remember working at flight back in the day. You didn't go up to that park. I mean, people like there was a lot of homeless in that park. So we opened and <laughs> I remember looking across the street and there's just a person pooping Wow. Right on a tree, right in front of me. And so I'm having to call Blue Suede. Blue Suede got involved, and they handled it, and they got the police involved and stuff. And so they've been more present in the area, and so that park has just been a lot 
of a nicer place than it had been in the past, mm. you know? Um, so it's more of a presence thing, you know, and if you don't, if you don't have someone around, if you don't, it's just like managing a place. Like if I'm not around or if people yeah. don't see a manager, they try to get away with stuff. So I think that's the biggest thing is just having that presence, you know? Yeah. Cause I see a lot of them. Um, well, especially in the summertime, you definitely see them on their segways riding around or walking around, but they usually write, now do they patrol all of downtown or just certain areas? Certain areas. Um, I don't know where all their offices are. I know yeah. they have one right off of Beale street, the parking garage there. Um, right behind, um, what's that parking garage? It's, it's right down from Hooters, you know, the one towards the other end there. So they have an office out of there. Um, and then I think they have a couple others, but they like break them out. Um, they meet with, uh, an officer daily. Um, and then they're, they're part of like, so I've hosted a couple of like the community safety mm-hmm. briefs and stuff. And that has like the police chief that has the I guess they call her like the blue suede chief. I think that's like they've ranks. Yeah. In um, and so they're involved. They're listening gotcha. to the community and, and, and um, you know, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully making a difference. I've seen it personally, but um, I think the tourism side, I think a lot of the tourists feel safer with it too. What, what would you do if you were trying to convince people that you're friends with that live in like say Eads or, whatever to come downtown, but oh, I'm not coming down there. I'll get shot or killed or robbed or whatever, not doing it. What is your, what would you say to them? Like, Hey, look, just come try. It's different than it used to be. Every, every city has its issues. I'm not going to lie. But like, what, what would you say? So at this point, um, cause you know, a lot of the younger kids are going to, uh, tin roof and that's pretty much it for Beale street. That's it. Um, Beale street has a lot of, Areas of opportunity is the best way to put it. Um, I think you need a bigger focus on that. And I, I wouldn't necessarily drive the locals to Beale Street. Um, I think that's still more of a tourism type of place. Uh, South Main, um, definitely a lot safer of an area. Um, you don't get a lot of the focus because there's not you're not in South Main to get wasted other than. Other than Ernestine Hazel's, <laughs> let's be honest, <laughs> Ernestine Hazel's is definitely, but like, you know, it's, it's mainly focused on the food and eating and having nice craft cocktails. Um, so I would say, you know, I live in South Maine. I walk everywhere downtown. I've never been, you know, robbed. Thank God. Let's knock on wood on that one. Um, but then even my female friends, you know, that live downtown, that walk downtown, that, you know, everyone in the South main area feels a heck of a lot safer than eight years ago. And then, you know, the people that work on Beale street even say the same thing, you know, leaving Beale street is a dangerous thing right now. Um, I think there needs to be a bigger presence on Beale street with the police force. And, and, and that's a whole nother thing. Um, (laughs) I I feel like we keep talking about the police and (laughs) the issues there, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I would direct it towards the South Main area. I, that's the safest area right now, in my opinion, downtown um, versus anywhere else. You know, people people tend to stick to their communities, Eads, Collierville, Germantown. They feel safe out there. Um, but when you're stuck in that area and there's not that much selections, like you either have the people that go to um, the country clubs or 100. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but or you have fast food out there. I mean, you have some cool spots out there, I guess. But, uh, like, if you want truly good food, if you want really good drinks, if you want those craft cocktails, so that's what's starting to come here, right? We're finally starting to get to see that. 
uh, living in Nashville five, six years ago, they're badass there. They know what they're doing. And that, I mean, say what you want about Nashville. I like to say the joke, Nashville peaked in high school, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but they, they do. I mean, they're, they're craft cocktails in that. Like when we went out there, I had a friend um, that worked in a bar and thought that they knew what they were doing. They said they didn't know shit. I mean, these people take their job seriously there. And so you're starting to see that in Memphis a little bit, right? You're starting to see these people um, that actually care about the service industry. We lost a lot of people during COVID. That'll never come back. Yeah. But the people that are here, I think, are some of the best ones. Um, now, here's the tricky thing is how do we keep them here? We've we've lost people uh, even in the last year um, because they didn't feel safe, because this, that, the other. So – we need to make sure that that not only do the people that are coming into our community feel safe, but the people that are working there feel safe too. Um, but yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see the craft cocktail side of things expanding in the South Main and, and in Memphis in general, you know? So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, Brad makes a really good old fashioned. I had one of his yesterday or I was drinking some of, one of somebody's, but it was good. And Everybody loves it. So you're right. And, you know, he'll be got people like Jonathan to do it, too, at Lafayette. Mm -hmm. You know, he's fucking really good. But, like, I'm wondering now, how would he, how would Jonathan stack up to somebody in Nashville that's been, that's doing it? I mean, they, they have, like, their own aprons, and they have, like, all these tools that I didn't even know about, right? Like, you know, you go into a bar, and you have all your stuff set out on the bar. Yeah. Stuff. No, these folks are, like, professionals. Like, you would have thought they went to damn school for it, right? Um, but I, in my opinion, <laughs> going to college, dropping out, um, I, I think with hospitality industry, I think the best way, uh, you get the best people is by working it right. And learning it. Um, when I was still at the Moxie, uh, I had an employee that was in school for hospitality at Memphis and they needed people to speak at the school. And so the uh, dean or whoever called me up. It was like, hey, I heard you went to went to Memphis. I was like, sure, sure. Yeah, I went to Memphis. <laughs> like, oh, cool. What'd you go for? I was like, well, I dual majored in math and engineering. And they're like, oh, well, when did you graduate? He's like, I, I didn't graduate. <laughs> and they're like, oh. All right, well, we'll, Sorry. We'll, 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 we'll let you know then. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I was a GM at the time of a hotel. Yeah. Like, and, but I was prepared to go in there and be like, you guys need to quit school now. Come work for me. I will get you to a management position in hospitality quicker than you can learn at this school. Yeah. Because that, that's all I did. I worked my ass off and I learned everything I could and just worked my way up. And I've had people that have degrees in hospitality and I would not put them in a management position. Mm. You know what I mean? Like it's. Experience it's, goes a long way. Oh, it's huge. I mean, it's it's why I am where I'm at yeah. is only because of experience. Because um, if I would have went to school, I probably would have failed out of hospitality school, too. I will yeah. have to say, though, I think Masters is one of the main people that brought the craft cocktail scene, especially to downtown. Oh, yeah. I, Daniel Masters is a silly goose when he had it. Yeah. Uh, I know because, like, him and Jeff would always go to, like, New York and uh, – uh, New Orleans for like those tail or what do they call tail of the cocktail or something like that yeah. bartender things and even Nick Manlavi was a big you know influence for it here so it well yeah I think you know he started it and which was a really good thing uh, we got to start somewhere yeah. um, I know he moved on to other things out in Colorado um, and and uh, how long has he been gone for now? Like three or four years? Yeah, since like COVID, I think. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, in that time, I, I think Memphis has taken bigger leaps than it has ever been before. Now, I'm happy that he started it, 
but I think uh, you're seeing a community in Memphis that's actually owning it now and taking it to a different level. Um, well, just look, even look like, a, say, like Bosco's for like the brewery and then all the breweries we have now. You know, like I never even thought about Bosco's being like a brewery, but they said that was like one of the original ones here at one yeah. time. And yeah, now we yeah. have like Wise Acre and, you know, name up one. They have one. So, it, like you said, it starts with somebody and then you just have to take that ball and keep going, kicking it down the road and keep running with it. So, and that's the goal. I mean, you you need people in this city that actually care on all levels. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, that bartender that truly cares about bartending and then that, that manager that cares about his people and then that owner that cares about giving a cool experience to the community and not just to make money, right? Mm-hmm. We've seen that and and those businesses have failed, right? Like that, that owner comes in and he he may or may not know about the hospitality industry, um, but he's there because he thinks he can make money and then that business fails and then someone that understands the industry comes in at a cheaper price and buys it <laughs> and makes it better. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think COVID sucked and losing the people in this industry that I've known for 10 plus years, 12 years, I think it is now it sucks to lose them. Um, but they went on to other things. They thought they had a secure job, right? They thought that I'm going to always have this server or, or bartender mm-hmm. job. They'll never shut down restaurants. That's crazy. And then the next day, nope, everything's gone. And then even when you came back, you could barely make any money, right, for like a year straight. Because everything was to go still, right, when they were able to open back up? Yeah, so the business was making money, right? But the – oh, one other good thing about COVID, to-go drinks. Mm. A lot of people don't know this, but the state of Tennessee can – like they started it where you could do two co-drinks like what, like two years ago, I think mm-hmm. it was three years ago. And then they extended out because they liked that tax revenue. So we still <laughs> have to-go drinks as long as you like buy like a food. So we were getting like, you got to get smart with it, right? Yeah. I, was buy, I was selling like dollar pretzels <laughs> with a to-go drink so you could have your to-go drink. So that's the one good thing. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, it's, it sucks losing the people that were a part of this industry for so long. Um, but I think the people that we have now are some of the strongest that we've ever had. And this industry is only going to get better now. So now, nat- do, you, do you think that the same type of uh, cleansing needs to be done for people like, say, like on Beale Street, like the old blood needs to go and new fresh blood needs to come in? So they've laid the way, right? Mm-hmm. They, they, you know, without the folks that started Beale Street, it would not have been where it's at now. Um but I, I see a lot of opportunities there. Um, I see places that um, are sitting empty and have been empty for a while. Um, and so and, and I see a way that I can actually influence it to make it a better place. Right. Um, one of them, you know, 152. Right. Man. Do you remember the days at 152? It were awesome. Oh my gosh. I remember going there. You would, you would start. Well, this is back in my college days, but you would start in Midtown. We'd always start in Midtown and then we'd always end up downtown at 152. You get your wristband, go up to the third floor. <clears throat> my first legal drink. So I was in Texas when I turned 21. I was still in the Air Force, but I drove home to, you know, see my folks and have my birthday and stuff. And we went to the first floor of 152. So like that was my first legal drink in Memphis. So like there's that nostalgia there, but I feel like there with that building, you know, there's a lot of negative and pod- positives to it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, over the years there's been issues and so on and so forth. Um, 
I think there's a lot of opportunities with that particular spot, but not only that right across the street, you know, there, um, what is that place with the, the, the black skull, diamond, the skull and the hat, the top hat. Yeah. It used to be called, was it not called black diamond? I, I think so. I'm not sure, but yeah. it, it's sitting empty too. Like someone's waiting to come in and do that. And then on the other side of Beale, you have all those empty spots down there. Yeah. It's like, you just need someone that has that passion and that wants to be involved. That actually has a good idea and understands the industry. Just because you have the money and just because it's Beale Street, you're not going to necessarily, I mean, you'll make money, but it'll fail. Like, that's the biggest falsehood, I think, in the hospitality industry is, oh, you're going to fail because it's hospitality. Like, 60% or 70% failed. Da, da, da. No, it's because all these people get involved that don't understand it. And then <laughs> they, 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 they fall on their butt. Like, yeah. they realize, holy shit, this is a lot of work. Because it is. It is a lot of work in hospitality. Because, like, on Have a Nice Day, that was the last thing on that, on that corner spot across from the police station, right? Yeah. Or is it? I mean, I know things have tried to come through, but deals fall through or whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, think about it. Have a Nice Day Cafe hasn't been open in over 20 years, and that spot is still is empty still. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, thankfully, we have um, that brewery down there now, Ghost River. Yeah. Have you uh, visited it yet? Yeah, it's nice. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. Great spot, open music. And then they just had, like, World Ring Order or whatever it was, Wing World Order or something like that. They just oh, added the food yeah, to the it. Yeah, the food to it, man. Yeah, they're, yeah. they're crushing it over there so now. So that, that's like the only thing down there now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, you have New Daisy and you have everything, like you said, the, the cafe and all that other stuff that just sits empty. So the only stuff that's actually bringing people down there, you have Tin Roof, which is college kids that come down there to party, get wasted, and they don't give a shit about Beale Street. I mean... I mean, I love them. They're bringing money down there and stuff. Yeah. But at the end of the day, they're they're not going to be the ones to support a business Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. So you have the what is that? The 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 north side or would that be the west side? I guess yeah, the west side closer to the river. We oh, have yeah. all the barbecue. You know, have all that stable. You need that for that other part for the east side or the the lower side of Beale Street where there's all this empty stuff. Yeah. Um. Once you start filling out Beale Street. Then you'll start seeing that impact like Nashville has. You know, when I moved to Nashville, there was still just Tootsies. You still just, you had a few places that just opened up, but there was still, they didn't have the rooftops yet. And now you go there. Golly, man. I mean, you have rooftop parties all the time. Everything's packed out. You have about a thousand girls there for their bachelor. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, once you start filling out Beale Street and you start focusing in on that, you start policing it right. You start, you know, investing money in the right spots. And then you start bringing the right businesses and the right business owners into it. Then you'll start seeing a massive change, a massive shift in downtown. Yeah, because if I was a tourist and my concierge, my hotel told me, oh, yeah, yeah, I got you all set up at Beale Street, you know, a little tour on Beale Street. And they take you to King's Palace to eat or... or um Run Boogie, or we'll just name one, right? And then, oh, what's down there? Oh, nothing. You know, there's, there's nothing down there. Oh, wait, wait. Now we have a brewery. We can take you to the brewery. You know, it's kind of depressing being a yeah. tourist. Like, there's like four things, five things you can do. Exactly. So it doesn't feel like, like, you know, you, all right, best example, you watch The Firm back in the day, you know, Tom Cruise is on there. There's a bunch of bars going on. You have the Memphis Flippers. It feels like a big party street. But then when you get on there, realistically, I mean, it's, that one block plus like what, like 200 feet of those other two. And that's yeah. it. Like you'll just, it'll, it'll never happen unless you get the right people in there. Yeah. I think um, 
I think we got a, a next wave, like what they did in Nashville. I think that's coming here. Because uh, I was talking to somebody last night, and she just moved here from L.A. And a bunch of her friends have moved here, too, because they see how cheap it is compared to where they live. And they're buying up properties left and right. Mm-hmm. And she still has her place out there in L.A., but she's like, yeah, it's so cheap. Why would I not do it? And well, I figure, like, those type of people will start seeing, like, business-minded people will start seeing the businesses that are around, too, and start snatching them up and doing shit with it also. Well, yeah. I mean, I, so some of my best friends, um, I met them during COVID. They, they were from L.A. They were doing the same thing. I mean, you're seeing this wave of people realizing the opportunities in Memphis. Yeah. Um, not just in hospitality, but real estate. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're starting to see – how many developments are going on just in this downtown area alone? I mean, we have so many apartments going up, uh, houses, housing rebuilds. So you're seeing in a lot of different areas and that's what you need is that kind of push. But now you need our government to, to the local government to start offering help, um, you know, tax breaks, you know, better policing, that type of thing. Um, and, and I hope, Maybe that when this next election cycle comes through and, you know, because Strickland's on his last leg now, he, I mean, he may still care about Memphis. He may, I don't know. I mean, that's a whole nother thing. But uh, maybe this new new guy that comes in, maybe maybe he's willing to listen more and realize where we're at. Because I honestly feel like we're where Nashville was 10 years ago, right? Yeah. Like the, you, you feel that, right? You feel mm-hmm. that energy coming slowly. I mean, it's a little bit slower than what I'd want, but, <laughs> but you just let that build. So you just, you, you need to work with the right people that are bringing the money, which your friends are, my friends are, yeah. um, people that know what they're doing. And then you need the government's help on it. Um, the community is already behind it. You're seeing the DNA South main association. All these people want this to happen. Yeah. I mean, I hear it all the time. Like it, people get so excited when a new place opens up. Yeah. Well, y'all remember when they were building uh, the Peabody place, Julian's club Atlas was inside all that stuff. How pumped were we about that? They were putting the flying saucer. Remember when the flying saucer got built finally? That was before my time. <laughs> oh, fuck me. <laughs> well, no, no, I meant, I meant bef- before I moved down here. Oh, okay, I okay. was still living in Pennsylvania at that point, but uh, I'm old man. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> but no, when I, when I moved down, I remember 300 came out and we came down to the Peabody on the IMAX. Cause that was like the only one I think at that oh, point. Yeah. And so we came down for that. And I just, at this point I was young still. Like I was, I'm came from a town of like 600 people. <laughs> we didn't have a stoplight in our town. So coming from that down to this, I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's all this stuff to do down here. There's the, the putt putt there. Like this is the coolest thing ever. Mm. And then now that's all offices. Like, yeah, I forgot about the neon putt putt thing that was in there. That yeah. was really cool. The, I, Cause I worked at the little fat Tuesday that was in there. Fat Tuesdays was yeah. in there too. Okay, cool. Well, you see, they putting a Fat Tuesdays on <laughs> North Main. They've been working on that like for five years. I saw a sign. I mean, like the legit sign that said Fat Tuesdays. I was like, wait, is that the, like the thing, like the frozen drinks? Like- so the owners, they own that building. Uh, they're the ones that own the little shop next door, um, and they've been working on that for. I think since I came down to the Moxie, they they were working on it back then, mm-hmm. and I know they had like piping issues and code issues and they were trying to get that fixed. And then that sign went up in the last year, I I think probably like seven or eight months ago. And now I'm hearing that they're trying to sell it. So Mm. I don't know what's happening with it. Well, it's also like, that's not a good spot to have a frozen drink. Well, it's so far from everything. So it could be. Unless you stay in at Moxie. (laughs) Well, no, but but it it could be right. Like no one's focused on that area at all. Um, So, 
I was uh, up until like three months ago, I was um, at the Hue. That was my next hotel that I was at. Um, it's an independent, beautiful hotel. I mean, it was it was a badass hotel before that, too. I mean, it was the Madison. I don't know if you guys ever visited it, but the, yeah. the rooftop was amazing. It was like one of my favorite parts about it. But anyway, so they before COVID, they renovated the I think it was called Sam's. The, the burger spot that moved down further. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was there. Um, they renovated that and turned it into a badass restaurant. I mean, it's called it was called the Hugh Diner, which was very confusing. I remember going there, like, you know, the windows opened up. And I'm like, diner? And like $17 drinks? Like, what What kind of <laughs> diner is this? Yeah. So that, that part was a little weird. But anyway, so they have that spot. And then COVID shut down. They haven't reopened that yet. So that's another opportunity. Mm. Um, so... If you get enough places in this area, you can start having these little pockets and then let that grow. So I don't know if frozen drinks is the best idea, but I think that there's something good that can go in there. And you mirror that off of that area because now Felicia Suzanne's, they're out. They're not down yeah, anymore. Right. They're moving down to South Maine. I don't know when they're opening. They're supposed to open like I think three months ago and they still haven't. But uh, so you have all these places now, these pockets that you can start building on. Um, in all areas of downtown and in Memphis in general too. I mean, East Memphis is killing it, right? <laughs> I worked at season 52 back in the day when it first opened and oh, nice. then Capitol grill opened up and then you have central barbecue that took over. So, I mean, and then Stony river. So, oh, in Germantown. Yeah. yeah I heard so that place is legit. It just, it just keeps growing, right? You keep getting these better, better spots and they're, they're surviving. I mean, uh, what season 52 has been open for like eight, nine years now. Stony river has been open for five. So, you know, you just need to find the right brand for each area and then build on that. Like, make sure, okay, don't name it Hugh Diner when you're offering $17 drinks. Don't offer frozen drinks <laughs> in an area that doesn't make sense. Are they kind of banking off 100 North Main, too? That's a huge thing. I mean, that's going to be. So it's a little bit further out than where Moxie and Q are, right? Like, you, you got. um maybe a quarter of a mile up further. But once that thing gets underway, I mean, it's going to be its own thing. Yeah. I mean, you're going to have apartments, hotels, you're going to have that beautiful restaurant. Finally, <laughs> apparently it used to swivel back in the day. It used to turn. I don't know. Really? If you guys, did you guys ever get to see uh, that? Mm -mm. Yeah. So that thing used to actually like turn and stuff, but they're not going to bring that back. Cause it'd be insanely expensive to fix. Uh, but they'll have a restaurant on the roof. They'll have shopping. They'll have restaurants down underneath. I mean, it's going to be a huge, huge, huge thing in North Maine. Um, so you already have apartments being built down there. You already start having that area being revitalized, right? Um, St. Jude, mm -hmm. they're, 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 they bought up all that area in their building. So all the empty lots and stuff, you know, where people are like worried about it, right? Like, oh, it's empty area. What? No, St. Jude's got all that. So everything on the other side of St. Jude towards downtown is going to be built up, including 100 North Main, which is like the first step. Yeah. So I'm excited about that, too. Is that Mulligan still down there? <laughs> it's an empty shell. Oh, OK. So, I don't remember. Yeah, it's like I think the last time they used it was like shooting for a TV show. Maybe it was the what was the lawyer show that was here for Bluff a City Law. Bluff City Law. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they used it for that for a little bit. But otherwise, I think it's sitting empty. Westies is still down there though. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Westies. I know that <laughs> that place is man. They they've been busy forever. I don't think Westies will ever not be open. 
I mean, it's such an amazing uh, ownership too, right? Like what they do for the community. And that's what I was talking about is you need owners that actually care about the community. They, for Thanksgiving every year, yeah. they, they bring in the food. They ask for help from the community. I think uh, it's been like two or I went last year, but I missed this year cause I was up in Pennsylvania. But uh, for like the last two or three years, I went down there and you're just dishing out food to the, to whoever wants it. Not, not just displaced people, but anyone that's needing help. So, you know, that person that it's Thanksgiving, like, right. Like it's a difficult time. It's winter. You're getting ready for Christmas, bring your kids, bring your family, whoever, and they feed everyone. Um, so that, I mean, that's a great thing that an owner does in an area where they're by themselves, right? Like Westies is like the only thing up there. I mean, there's not much else around there. Um, I mean, I think it was like a cop bar back in the day. Isn't that how it got started? I don't know. I mean, I know you have the police station up there and stuff too, but yeah, I love their wings. <laughs> What's their favorite that, that dessert thing? I don't know. What is it? I don't know. It's like, they have like a world famous dessert that they make there or something like that. How have I missed this? I don't know, but I, I definitely know about it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, I've, uh, I've stopped in there quite a bit. I, there's a, a cool run group in Memphis. Um, called the hash house harriers. I don't know if you guys ever heard of it mm-hmm. started like a hundred years ago, um, with a British, the British military. Um, so in the military, we like to drink and we work out. Right. So, uh, some guys would get together and that were still in the military and they'd start drinking and they'd run like that's that essentially how it started. And then they got out of the military and they wanted to stay connected. So they formed this run group and it's a drinking group with a running problem. I love it. it. That's awesome. They, uh, now they're all over the world, like everywhere. Um, they, uh, have, they call them kennels. So, um, cause the hash house area, like the dog running after the hash, right. And then the kennels. Um, but yeah, we did a stop in there. Um, you're running all over Memphis. You get to see some cool stuff. So we started in, like north side by St. Jude mm-hmm. and like myself, it was the first time I led a run. So there's two people like leading the run and you're just marking the ground with chalk. Right. Okay. And then everyone else is like chasing after you. So we led them down under the spillway. So there's like, this big spillway on the north side of uh, St. Jude. And we went into the tunnels, like underneath the city for oh, miles. Really? Yeah. And then we crawled out. Like, you know, the wall or the wall, what, what Walgreens, not Walgreens, Wendy's, the Wendy's right there by kind of close to St. Jude on the other side. It's the only one oh, downtown. over there by the mission. Yeah. 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 So, the manhole right in front of that. That's where we crawled out of. Oh, the fuck? Wow. yeah, dude. It is awesome. <laughs> it is so cool. That is legit. And then we ended our run at Westies. So like everyone like paused in there. So it's, it's a cool group. Like we get together and drink and stuff, but then we do stops at bars, which helps out the bars and stuff too. Um, but, and then you have like cool names, like people will ask you like questions, like you could get a bunch of questions and they name you mm. and you have like a goofy name and all that stuff too. So it's, it's a fun group, but yeah, I mean, you know, you get to see parts of Memphis you've never seen before. That's awesome. Yeah. When do y'all run again? They do runs every other week. Um, the next big one that's coming up is the red dress run. So it's like a Valentine's day run. Um, I don't remember the actual date. I think it's in, I think the th- 13th i want to say mm. maybe but uh you're supposed to dress up in red dresses and then you run a course and it's a bunch of bar hopping like that's oh, all it i is. think i think aaron did that down in new orleans 
Yeah, yeah, they have them all over. Yeah, okay. Was it this last year he did that? Or uh, I don't. Do you remember? I don't know if it was last year. Because, you know, his dad passed away from cancer. Isn't it something with cancer, too, I think, or something? Oh, it's uh, February 25th is the Red Dress Run. Got you. So, um, but yeah, they're all over. Like, they don't just do them in this city. Like, they'll do New Orleans and everywhere yeah. else, too. Um, they have different themes. Um, they did this one. It was called the Running of the Bulls. And so, normally, you're chasing two people, right? Well, in this one, you're being chased by two people <laughs> and the, the course is already marked out and you're just running. And then they have like, they have, they call them drink motherfucker <laughs> stops. Like it's, it's funny, but, uh, and it'll be any kind of alcohol that they want to put down there. So this one time it was like absinthe, whole bottle of absinthe. Oh. And us as a group had to finish that before we could run on. And then we have these two people behind us chasing us. So we're trying to chug that some bitch and then run on there. I think like my first one I ever did, it was like two or three years ago, middle of the summer, hot as hell. Oh. And we're out by uh, the um, uh, stadium, the Liberty Bowl. I always call it the Liberty Bowl. I don't know. What is that called? Seaman or Simmons or something like that? Simmons something. Or yeah. yeah. Literally. But uh, so we were out there and um, the train tracks right there. Yeah. We got on there and they had one of those uh, drink spots and mm. it was like a 40 of steel reserve oh. sitting in the sun and hot. <laughs> right. So we had to finish that. And then like another hundred feet, it was like another like, like awful, like malt liquor just sitting. Oh, I never puked so hard in my life. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. That's that so stuff rough. is hard to drink cold. Oh, it was rough. It was rough, but it was a lot of fun. Like there's like a overpass, like the train coming and you had to go through the tunnel and literally like the train was coming. We had to dodge the train. <laughs> it's crazy. It's a lot of fun though. Wow. Yeah. So can you tell us about your time as a, at the funeral home? <laughs> yeah. Cause I was going to ask about that too. That's like, <laughs> yeah. So, um, I remember, I think I was like in my early twenties and back when Craigslist was actually a viable thing, uh, found this job and it was like driving for a funeral home. And I was like, well, that sounds cool. Like, I mean, easy job, right? Yeah. Like no big deal. So I show up and they tell me I would quote unquote work for the graveyard shift. <laughs> I just got that right now. Like, damn. So I would be working 6 PM to 6 AM. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it's this van, right? Uh, it's just a white van and I have it at my house and I'm on a call. And when I get a call, I drive out either to the home or the hospital. Now, if it's a home, you got to pick up someone else and go with them because you're going by yourself. Hospital, you do it by yourself and you get paid per pickup. So it was really good money because no one really wants to do, to do that, that job, but <laughs> I'm definitely never doing that job. So when I got in there, I was like, okay, cool. I just got to pick them up. No, you get in there and then you got to talk to the family too. And I'm a young kid at this point, and I haven't seen that much death. I was in the military, but again, I didn't get to see much death. So uh, I remember our first pickup. It was like right around Christmas time. And we're down in like Mississippi, like in the backwoods of Mississippi. And the cops are all there. It's like four in the morning. And they, they like come out and they're like, hey, you got to hang out for a minute. The son, I think the son was like in his 20s. And the mom and then the dad was the one that passed away. And they said, before you remove the dad, uh, they want to open up the presents for Christmas, like while he's in the home. And I was like, oh, wow. Okay. So we sat outside and waited. Um, apparently what happened is middle of the night, he got up to get a drink from the kitchen and had a heart attack. 
And it's crazy. I still remember this. It's so long ago, but it was like my first one. It freaked me out. The dog had seizures. So the wife thought the dog was having seizures. He came out found the husband dead. Now I, I got to add, uh, working there, I realized for guys, we need to watch our heart because that is the number one killer. I mean, heart attacks. That's, that's the main one I saw all the time. So anyway, so we get in there and this guy is big. I mean, 400 pounds, 450. And I'm a little guy. I'm, I'm like, I think I weighed like 160 pounds at this point. Mm. And the guy with me maybe weighed like 20 pounds more than me. And thank God the cops were there because we're having to put him on the stretcher and lift. I am the most nervous I've ever been in my life because I'm like freaking out. Like, hopefully I don't want to drop him. Like you're in front of the family. Like they're in there watching you. And so we, we get him out, get him in. And then you have to go back in and then you have to go over because we represent like Memphis funeral. So you had to go over, Hey, here's the packet. This is the stuff. Someone's going to reach out to you, take your time. And like, you have to go through all these other motions while these people are like going through the worst time of their lives. So it was, it was a crazy experience, but, uh, but yeah, I did that for probably like eight months. I mean, it was Saw some weird ones. I picked up a burn victim one time and couldn't eat chicken for a very long time. Like the smell of burnt flesh was the worst thing I ever smelled. And I, I have a weak stomach. Yeah. I, I am a, I am a wuss when it comes to smells. And so like everyone, when they die, they lose their bowels and, oh. and all that. So I would have Vaseline with me and I would like ring it around my nose. Mm. So that way, cause you don't want to be like weird or what anything. So, um, so that was a weird one too. I think the craziest, uh, there was a suicide victim in uh, Mississippi. I had to go down to like Oxford area and the gentleman went out in the backyard and um, shot himself. And I always thought it was weird. I mean, obviously I'm not a medical professional or anything and they know more than me, but the way he, the, where the bullet hole went through in his head and the way it went out and him holding that gun that way made no sense to me at all. I was like, dude, this looks weird. Right. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't, nothing ever came of it. They just assumed it was a suicide because there was a note, but uh, we get back to the, or I get back to the funeral home and back of his head is like open. Right. And you have to like inventory the clothes and to clothe them and then put them in the fridge or the freezer. And I remember taking off his hat and, or I mean his uh, shirt. And as I did, mind you, he was out in the woods, right? Yeah. A spider drops out of his head, a bloody spider drops out of his head and runs across the floor. I would have been like, thank you for the job. <laughs> thank you for the, the money for the past couple of months. I'm out of this bitch. Oh, it was the creepy. Keys. It was creepy, man. It was so creepy. Um, saw some ghosts at the funeral home. Oh man. Like, like I said, we, we would have to work together at sometimes and there's this long hallway and then all these offices off the side. Right. Um, and then the far back is like the main freezer. So my partner's back there. He's getting the, the body ready. I'm walking back up towards the van and I look back and I see someone go back in the office. I was like, what the heck? I was like, his name is Bobby too. I was like, Bobby, what are you doing? He didn't say nothing. I walk back closer. I'm like, Bobby. Heels back from the freezer. I'm like, hey, is someone else here? This is like three or four in the morning. He's like, no, no one else should be here. I walk back and this office area is closed off. There's no way to get like that was the only way to get in. And there is no one back there. Like not a single person. And you still work there after this. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they didn't, I mean they didn't, 
They didn't mess with me. I would have just gotten starved. I would have been starved to death. I would have lived in the woods. And I'm not working there anymore. <laughs> After the spider and now the ghost thing, fuck that. <laughs> it was it was creepy for sure. Like the clocks would fall off all the time. A lot of people don't know this about um, when you're uh, what's it called when you're. Rigor mortis? No, when you no. when you get the ashes. What is it called? Cremated. Cremated, cremated mm. thank you. So when you get cremated, everyone assumes that's your ashes, but it's not. So they burn the body, and then what's in the vase is actually your bones crushed. Because, like, man. all the skin and stuff like that burns yeah. off you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like, you don't actually have any ashes when you're, like, everything burns. So the only thing that left that doesn't burn is your bones. So yeah. they just crush the burn, bones, and then that's your, quote-unquote, ashes. Who the fuck is crushing the bones? Was that y'all? So, yeah, there's, like, a separate area. So you'd go into this other room, and there was, like, the cremation part. They'd burn it, and then there was this big machine. Crush them all, and then put in a vase. How long did it take for a body to burn down? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I actually don't know that. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. That was a separate person, and I didn't oh, see okay. them. So, like, again, I worked at night, so I didn't get to mm. see the people. They all worked during the day. Um, they did amazing jobs. I mean, you uh, – the worst – well, I mean, obviously the worst pickup ever was like the, the, the babies in the hospital, right? That mm-hmm. like the stillborns and stuff. But there was um, a car wreck victim. The face, she was a young girl, like 16, face was messed up. And the, the, the women that worked there, there was two ladies that worked there that did like the, the work on their faces. It was amazing. You couldn't tell. I mean, they what they did for these families, people don't think about this, but what they did for these families to give them that life back was like really cool to see, see this person where they were and what the families actually get to see. It's like that last chance to like feel like that's still their daughter. Right. Like instead of seeing the other way. Yeah. So that was a really cool thing too, but wow. Interesting experience. Very humbling for sure. Did it make you appreciate life more? Oh yeah. I mean, it was, like people don't think about that, right? Mm-hmm. You get ingrained in this and you don't think about like, uh, you see that on the news, that person that died in that car wreck or, or that heart attack or whatever. And then it kind of just goes outside your mind. And then it's like pulling that curtain back and seeing the other side of it, yeah. seeing what the family went through, seeing what it takes, um, not only to get that person there, but to get them ready to the funeral, to the viewing, to all that stuff. I mean, it is a lot that, that, that person goes through after they've passed away. So Ooh. <laughs> that's I'm heavy s- right there, man. Yeah. So I'm still thinking about the ghost. <laughs> yeah. Were there a lot of suicide victims? No, not that many. Uh, I think I had like two or three the whole time I was there. But you say a lot of them were heart attacks. Oh, so many heart attacks. Um, and like most of the heart attacks, they were obese. Yeah. Um, and most, most, were men like, mm. you know, um, I think, uh, I think the only one, okay. The worst one I've ever had to do ever period. I told you I had a weak stomach, uh, this elderly woman, I think she was like in her sixties was feeling sick or something. And she got the house by herself and her son ended up finding her. There was from where the couch was, where she was sleeping into the bathroom. Um, there was feces everywhere. And she slipped and fell on her feces and uh, cracked her head open. So there was blood and feces everywhere. Damn. And we had to come in and pick them up and bring them back and all that. Oh, that was, that was a rough one. And the sun was just so broken up. So broken up. I mean, I've seen stuff on the other side. Like, you don't think about this, but, like, uh, who's the famous woman back in the 90s that married, the like, the super old guy? 
Uh, and Nicole Smith. Yeah. 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 So I saw something similar to that. Uh, it was this younger woman. I think she was like in her thirties and we had to pick up her husband who is like every bit of like 98 years old. I mean, he looked like a skeleton, like <laughs> old as heck. So we're in the bedroom while she's out there with her two sisters and packing things up. And I, I'm walking on the way out and I hear the girls in the, in the living room. Oh, you're about to get paid. You're going to get that money. You're about to get so much fucking money. And I'm like, he's still in the fucking house, <laughs> yeah. man. Wait, wait a minute. <laughs> what the hell? So yeah, that was, oh, that was shit. a tough one. I had to bite my lip on that one. I almost lost my job. I was like, I was about to go off on it. Like, just wait, wait like 20 minutes. We're almost out of your way. Yeah. But, Fuck man. But I mean, I guess he got something out of it and she got something <laughs> out of it, you know? Damn. Yeah, that is something we don't think about on a regular basis. Because it's all it's going to happen to us all eventually, one one way or another. And, you know, my buddy that stayed on there, and so I, I moved on, but he ended up getting to buy the business from the people that owned it. Dude, so much money. I mean, the funeral industry is just insane. And so, like, the, the this company was a subcontractor to Memphis Funeral Home. So Memphis Funeral Home didn't, like, they would just pay per ride, and then they would charge the family even more for that, too. Oh, yeah. So the amount of money that this industry makes is just insane. Like, I mean, well, I was just talking about this the other day. There's a place in Orange Mound, I think. I think it's Orange Mound, where there's a drive-through funeral. What? Yeah. So, like, there's this big-ass window. And they put the the coffin right there in the window, and you just drive through. It's like five hundred bucks. What? <laughs> yeah. What do you think about those things where they set the people up in their setting, like they love playing video games or on motorcycles? They well, do it down in New Orleans, I think, yeah. or Louisiana, apparently. Well, that's that goes. Like, if you look at history, I mean, they did that for a long time. Yeah. I mean, um, what a hundred and hundred years ago, roughly, or whatever. When I'm, when pictures started happening, mm-hmm. I mean, there's tons of pictures from like the 30s and 40s. And you think like it's like a bunch of people lined up and you think yeah. it's just a regular. No, they're all dead. <laughs> like <laughs> so it's just a normal thing that they used to do. Um, I mean, it goes back to the Egyptian times. Like, think about it. Like mm. what they did. They I mean, they would show the body and all that stuff and then they would embalm it and preserve it. And so, I mean, it, we're humans. We're, we're fascinated with death. Yeah. Like that's just a thing um, that we all like to have interest in. And I guess putting someone in a position to remember them for the best thing. If that's how you want to deal with it, then that's how you want to deal with it. I saw it's not- recently there was a, they dug a lady up and they dressed her after she had been dead for years. Oof. And it's something in their culture. It's like, they do this all the time. Huh? Oh like, yeah. I do like remember hearing around on social media and everybody's like, what the fuck are y'all doing? And they're like, it's, it's our culture. This is what we do. We honor the dead this way. Well, then now, uh, you can, I saw this the other day. You can turn your relative into a plant. So you you put their body in this sack mm, with you. the seeds and That'd plant it, cool. and then it turns into a tree. Yeah. I was like, that's a cool way to do it. Yeah, because, I mean, if you're going in the ground, some bug's going to eat you or whatever. Yeah. We all return back to something eventually. It's like the circle of life pretty much, just on a smaller scale. You remember when New Orleans had the all the, the coffins and stuff? Yeah. Oh, man, I can't imagine that. Those poor people. <laughs> Oof. Like, how do you start, how do you even start clean up on that? Like, hey, okay, like, hey, the water's descending, let's go get all the bodies now. Like, and now they're going to start rotting, yeah. and it's, it's hot down there in New Orleans, and muggy. Oof. I feel bad for the people that had to do that. I think Sean Penn, when he, he was down there, and then that happened, he's like, all right, I'm done helping. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. <laughs> Would you do that job today? Um, I mean, 
Owning it, yeah. <laughs> if I owned it, <laughs> yeah. for sure, yeah. I mean, because I, I know, I think on average, like a person doing that that owns it, they're making close to like three or four hundred thousand a year. Oh wow! And that's after they've paid out their employees. Damn. So, like I said, that industry, like weddings, yeah, and freaking death, like that's the two biggest industries where they're making insane money and. One's a joy and the other one's <laughs> sadness. So. Well, you know, uh, like the Fords here in town, yeah. like had Harold Ford and all those guys. That's how they started. They started as uh, funeral directors. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Edmund Ford. I think Edmund Ford's the most current one that's on like whatever for the city. Yeah. They all, we'll like, always have a damn Ford involved in the uh, city. Yeah. There's so many of God. them. <laughs> My brother jokes me all the time. He's like, why don't we just like get on that level of like. <laughs> The Ford family and create like it's like a mafia style like political family and there's a dynasty in Memphis. It's wild. They'll never go away. No, I think they'll always be around. But yeah, they, so they started off with uh, the funeral dead, home thing. Dead yeah, folks. Yeah, cool. And now they're in politics. <laughs> what the heck? So did you travel at all in your time in the military? Um. So we had to do trainings every now and then. Um. And it was just like so. I ended the mil- my military service with like a civil engineering background. <clears throat> and the only way I would get deployed is if we had to land in an area and set up a bear base, mm-hmm. bear, meaning nothing was there. Okay. So the training that we would have to do, we went up to a place called Indian Gap, Pennsylvania one time. And uh, that's, you ever hear of Three Mile Isle? Mm-mm. So Three Mile Isle is in Pennsylvania and it was a nuclear um, factory, I guess. Have you ever seen the, the movie Wolverine where they're fighting in the big silos, like the nuclear silos and stuff? I have. You know, yeah. the, with the bad Deadpool. Oh, the, <laughs> the original line. Yeah. Yeah. So that's Three Mile Isle. Oh, wow. And they actually had like a meltdown uh, a long time ago. So it's been shut down. It's just laying dormant. So we we landed like we were like landing overseas. We're in this big C-130. Mm-hmm. Open bay, it's cold as hell in there, and you go from I don't know, like five thousand feet, and then they straight down dive, like you're landing because like it's like don't get shut down kind of thing, yeah. And then you rush off, and then you start building the base and and all that stuff. So that was a cool, cool little experience for sure. Um, but other than that, I mean, we did some training in Atlanta and stuff, but mainly it was in Texas, man. Like there are so many bases. Uh, so you have Fort Worth. Wichita Falls, Abilene, uh, San Antonio, uh, and I think there's one more. I think there's like six or seven Air Force bases alone down there. Wow. Yeah. So they love Texas. Yeah, my dad was in the Air Force, and my sisters, they lived in all over, well, in the United States, but then they were stationed in Hawaii for a while. But then when I was born, I was born in Omaha, and that's where we stayed till we moved here. Oh, okay. Because my dad retired, and he started working for FedEx. But I was like, I always wish that, I could have seen more, you know, like you'd go to like another country or something like that, but that wasn't the case. Yeah. I never got that opportunity. My brother did the opposite. He, uh, went to college and then became a truck driver <laughs> and saved up a bunch of money at like saved up like 30 grand and then just backpacked through the world. I think that's what, I think a lot of people need to see that. Cause if you see different cultures, you'll appreciate life a lot more. Well, yeah. And like, you know, you start realizing one thing. So he, you know, he got out of college and he had that mindset that America sucks. It's, there's so many better countries. Da, da, da. When he got back, he's like, dude, 
America is the best. He we goes, have it pretty good here. Like, cause he, he didn't just go to like the, so he went to central South America. He went to Europe. He went to Africa. He went to Asia. He went to, he didn't hit Australia. That's yeah. the only one he didn't go to. But he said like, <laughs> the wild thing is like the last one he went to was Japan and before mm-hmm. he flew back. And he said, literally in Japan, he goes, the Japanese people like the Japanese people and no one else. Mm-hmm. There are signs uh, on bars. I think they called them like Gaijo, which means like outsider or something. Okay. But like anyone from America, any white, black, Asian wasn't allowed in this bar. And it's like wild that we still have places in the world like yeah. that nowadays. And we think, you know, in America, like, yeah, we deal with shit here. But then you go to like places like that and see that. It's like, what the hell are they doing over there? But hey, it's their own country doing however you want, I guess. Yeah. It's weird when you're the foreigner, right? When you have the accent. And, and, well, and you know, you would think it would be hard to like communicate, but English is everywhere. Yeah. Like, and it's, he said like he saw Americans in Europe that would just go over for like a week or two and they would be assholes and be like, why are you speaking English? And it's like, come on, dude. Like you're not, in, you're not at home, man. Yeah. Where was so. it in Spain that you went that they didn't speak English? I went to Madrid. Oh, um, yeah. Barcelona was pretty cool. It was pretty English-speaking, but Madrid, not so much. Yeah. And it was cold when I was there, too. Is it smaller? Like, do you think, like, smaller towns in these countries probably speak less, more people, less people speak English? Well, yeah, um, with, like, the less tourism side. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Well, and then, like, when you get over to Europe, you realize, like, it seems big on the map, but that Europe's smallish. Like, it's small. I mean, it's not, like... I mean, it can fit like half of the U.S. can like it can fit in half the U.S. or whatever. So when you get over there, like these people that have lived in Madrid probably have never left that country because yeah. you move a little bit, you're in a different country and they don't want to give that up. So you have generations of, hey, this is where we're at. We're not moving. This is what we speak. We're not going to like give in. And so, yeah, you go to those smaller towns for sure. He went to scotland and was going to these bars and you know they speak english quote unquote but he's like you couldn't understand them <laughs> like it was so britain too you go to these smaller towns in britain because you know he was trying to track down like his last name it's like the the slang they use there he's like i know they're speaking english but i had no <laughs> damn idea what they were saying so it's like interesting because like you know when people come here to memphis right we have our own slang here so when someone from russia comes in they're like what did you say? It's because they understand English, but they don't understand like what up or, you know, yeah. what I mean? so it's interesting. Well, I grew up speaking English and I moved here and I distinctly remember when I was in seventh grade, this kid's like, Hey man, you got a pencil? I'm like, I have <laughs> no idea what the fuck you're saying. So I'm going to say no. And he pointed at my desk and he was talking about a pencil. Oh uh, yeah. And so like, funny you say that when we I grew up up North, right? Yeah. We were down here and for like the first two months and we went to go see a movie and my dad's like, Hey, can I get a pop? Mm, yeah. And they came back with popcorn and he's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I want a popcorn, but can I get a pop too? And the guy looked at him. He's like a Pepsi. He goes, Oh, you mean a Coke? He goes, oh. no, that says Pepsi. I want a Pepsi. <laughs> so It's crazy how things have like a generic name. Like soda is Coke. Yeah. Uh, like anything, energy is Red Bull, you know, whatever like that, you <laughs> yeah. know, like it's just, it's wild how like, and, and then like you go to like a different area, right? Like you go to like what Tennessee and the, in the mountains there and they're going to say, you know, it's, it's 
it's soda, it's soda or whatever. You know what I mean? So like anywhere you go in the South, it's, it's vastly different. It's so weird. Like up North, like we're pretty much, I go back up North and my aunts sound like they're from Canada. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but down here in the South, like you go from here to Jackson to Tennessee, it's like, it, it changes quite a bit. It's really, really interesting how drastically different it is down here. And the worst is when you go up north and you're like, can I have a sweet tea? And they say, no, but I'll give you some sugar. <laughs> yep. Well, like, they fuck you. <laughs> like, they do that to you every year. Like, what place in Memphis? I don't understand this. You were it in- happened in Nashville. It didn't happen. Oh, it didn't happen. Oh, sorry. Well, that's because there's so many people moving to Nashville that aren't from the South. Yeah. You have people from California, from New York, from Philly, like all these places. And I don't drink sweet tea like we do yeah. like when we drink a sweet tea we want to have like a uh i want diabetes diabetes <laughs> yeah you want type 2 diabetes <laughs> but i have found like this zero sugar zero calorie sweet tea it's called uh, it starts with an m i forget the name milo milo it tastes just like the regular really it's fucking good it's like in a yellow you know what i'm talking about yeah <laughs> it's good so what can you tell us about philly because we're supposed to be going there in a couple of weeks well, they have the best football team ever, so. Subject to opinion. <laughs> so, you know, it's a city like, it's the city of brotherly love, right? But if you're not from Philly and you say shit about Philly, just watch out. Dude. Just watch <laughs> so out. He's going to get his ass beat. <laughs> I would not wear, okay, if the game goes the way I think it goes, you, you should be able to wear Kansas City stuff. But if it doesn't go that way, I would not wear that shit up I was there. Like, I love Patrick Mahomes tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of history. Mm. Um, a lot of people, there's a cool bar um, called Tun Tavern downtown, and that's where the Marines were founded. Okay. So you got to love history. So they yeah. they the Navy was having problems with insurrection. So, like, because back then we couldn't always pay our bills. <laughs> so people were pissed. So the Marines were created to protect the captain and the crew. Right. Um, and so a bunch of officers were fucked up one night at a bar called Tun Tavern and they started signing people up. And they're like, Hey, come on. And that's where it was created. So wow. I think if I remember right, it's been a while, but that's where the most engagements happen for Marines. And then of course, a Marine gets cheated on like three months later. Damn. <laughs> it happens. No, I have a lot of friends that are uh, really good Marines. And I was actually, when I went to Memphis, I was um, thinking about going over. I was doing Marine RTC while I was finishing off uh, in the Air National Guard here in Memphis. Everyone looked at me crazy. They're like, what the f- are you thinking? You're, you're going from the Air Force, this cushy thing, to uh, the Marines. I was like, well, you know, I didn't realize, like, I'm, I like running. I wanted that ground pound stuff. And the Marine culture is just amazing. Uh, people say they're crazy. No, it's one of the tightest knit groups of people you'll, you'll ever meet. I mean, they're badasses. They're, they're hands down the coolest people I've ever met. I still have friends that are officers in the military that are Marines and stuff. I love the Air Force. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, yeah. but we cannot compete with the Marines when it comes to the shit that they do. Um, so yeah, but I mean, Tun Tavern would be a cool one for sure. Um, anywhere on broad, I mean, you're going to see partying or see tons of Eagle stuff. <laughs> what, <Yay. when> are, <laughs> you're going up there in what, two months? Uh, end of, end of March. March. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> March 30th. I, I think we may still be partying at that point. <laughs> probably. <laughs> you probably will be. I mean, you're, you're all fans a while. I mean, don't get me wrong. I haven't been to Airhead yet or whatever the fuck it's called now. Ghana stadium or something yeah. like that. But, uh, I do want to go there. And my buddy Rick was telling me last time I saw him that 
all his family still has season tickets and they still, you know, they, all his family still goes, you know, really? they're not coming off a ticket. He was just telling me a story. And I was like, well, if they ever want to like sell a ticket to me, I can go with them or we can go. Right. He's like, yeah, I'll, I'll look into it. That'd be pretty cool. Well, and that's the thing about Philly. Like, you know, we have multiple teams in our city, right? We have baseball, we have hockey, we have football, we have all of it. Basketball. Uh, we're a football city forced. And so my ex was a Cowboys fan. Mm. And we were talking about going up to a game up there, and she was like, "Oh, I'm going to wear my Cowboys jersey." He's like, "Look, the fuck you are." I feel strong. I feel, but I cannot protect you. <laughs> <laughs> I think one time the worst story ever. Well, you know, we threw snowballs at Santa. Um, we're the first stadium to have a full court system in it. <laughs> yeah, you you go to a game, get get fucked up, and uh, end up being booked at the end of the day um i heard about the most ridiculous one i mean this is like stupid this guy had a balloon supposedly full of gasoline and saw a cowboys fan and threw the balloon on him was gonna light him on fire wow yeah yeah that's fun so you got some crazy ones there but but then i mean the culture there's great too so like um this last game that we had and i was talking to you guys about this earlier um you know they're so strict on tailgating up there that they for a while there you couldn't tailgate because we just got too stupid up there. But uh, um, they've extended out to like three hours before the game because and they never like doing like too late of games because mm-hmm. people will go to Broadway first and get too drunk and it's bad. But uh, they had a lacrosse tournament like at the other stadium because they're all right next to each other. So a bunch of Eagles fans bought tickets to the lacrosse one <laughs> so they could tailgate all day <laughs> leading up to the game. So you guys like to party. Smart. Yeah. yeah. But more. yeah, you'll have fun, man. I mean, you got the the rocky steps. Okay, the, I definitely want to go see those. Right? I, I completely forgot they were on there until we were talking earlier. The rocky statue is no longer in front of the in front of the steps anymore. They moved it because that's um it's like an art museum, and the art museum considered it not art. Wait, know. it's really a museum in there? Because I remember Rocky I, asking his son, Dad, you never know what's in here? He's like, it's a museum. So, mm-hmm. Dad? Yeah, yeah, and they considered it not like an art museum or something, and so they moved the statue, and people were pissed. But then, of course, we have the Nick Foles, famous Nick Foles, and uh, statue from like the Philly Philly special one that Budweiser gave us. Did you know that? Uh-uh. Yeah, so after the Super Bowl, when Nick Foles went up to our coach and was like, hey, Philly, Philly, Philly special, you know, the famous one where they throw the ball to Nick Foles in the end zone? Yeah. Uh, so that's a statue that Budweiser gave us outside the stadium. Oh, that's that's cool as shit. Yeah. 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 So which is the best sandwich or place? Isn't there two, like, cross <sighs> So you got Geno's and Pat's, which are, like, the two main ones that yeah. everyone has heard about. Um, I mean, those are going to be your best bets, uh, but you have, I think I saw a YouTuber one time try to go through as many or all of them or as many as he could or something like that. And he went to like 30 places in like two days. Um, I mean, they're all there. There's not too much difference, right? Like you're, you're going to see now there, there are some that went like way off Mm. and added some extra shit, but Geno's and Pat's are going to be your best bets as far as consistency and, and getting like a true Philly in my opinion, but how do you order one? Uh, so you're going to go through the line and you say wit or without. So wit meaning with onions, without meaning without onions. If you look back, so right now cheese whiz is the way that they do it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but back when it originally happened, you didn't have cheese whiz. So provolone was what it was used for. And then you never put bell pepper on there. 
That's what people do. Really? Yeah, bell pepper's not a part of I it. I see that on a lot, a lot of Around shows. here, yeah. yeah. Oh, I guess so, I mean, yeah. and you can do that, but there, it's either with or without, and, and that's pretty much it. Like, that's how you order it. Like, you just go into this line. And they have directions up there, and you can order different stuff, but the traditional way is, like, with onions and and with with cheese. But the way I'm going to do mine, I'm going to offer, like, the original with the provolone and then the authentic with the whiz cheese. Okay. So that way you have the two cool. options. And it's not with, it's with, 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 with. remember that, with. With or without? Without. With you don't want to be like, like soup Nazi while you're up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're cool. They're, they're not bad. But, you know, we, we say like with. Uh, my uncle, because like, I don't have the accent anymore. He's like, we got to do the wash <laughs> and we need some water. <laughs> like, that's how you say it. Like, we got to do it with or without. So you're saying the best place to stay is we need to say downtown. Oh, absolutely. Oh, I mean, maybe. you're going to want to experience Broadway for sure. Got you. Like Broadway is like the place. So, like, have you ever watched Always Sunny in Philadelphia? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the intro, like, they're going through downtown and stuff. They're showing all the... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's where all the cool bars are and everything. And then the history's down there. I mean, it's just so much history in that city. I mean, people forget that that's essentially where America was founded because that's where everything was signed. That's yep. where, I mean, you have the the Liberty Bell. You know, we have the fake one here <laughs> for Liberty Stadium. But, yeah, I mean, you have so much cool history there. It's pretty cool. I'm a... Uh, uh, my brother and I are both big history fans and I'm also a Freemason. So like, that's why I've, I've read a lot about American history and then history in general, but like just the, a lot of people don't realize so like I keep a beard a lot because when I shave, I look like a baby. <laughs> <laughs> and so in my industry and especially like where I'm at, usually I'm like, I think this last company I was with, uh, at the Hue, I was the youngest GM in the company. Oh, wow. Um, so, like, keeping that in mind, people always associate age with experience and all that. Yeah. Dude, most of these people that, like, formed our country were, like, 22, 23. Like, there was a lot of young guys signing that thing. And they weren't Dang. all politicians. They were, like, Benjamin Franklin was a badass. He invented a ton of shit. Did you see, by the way, that they just found all those bodies in France? Yeah. It's that's, wild. That's, uh... He, well, he, he, he was like dissecting the body. I don't know. I mean, who knows? We'll figure it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, if you think about it, that's how people became doctors at one time. Somebody had to experiment on somebody. Well, yeah, dude. Like back then, like if you were sick, they would bleed you. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was rough, but. Uh, we all learned from a novice. That's true. I mean, look where we're at now. Yeah. Thank God we have penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> At least that was the motto in the in the military. <laughs> <laughs> if penicillin can, can get rid of it, don't get it. Yeah, exactly. Did, did the, can't talk. Did the military help out with your mindset, or do you already have this kind of mindset? So, go, growing up with my dad, um, and in the town that I'm in, you know, it was very close knit. He was he is one of the hardest workers I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I get my my mentality from, as far as like my hard work. Uh, I think this year was the first year I actually like took a month off work because I like I left the moxie and I was like trying to figure out my next step. Um, And so that was like weird for me to like not have a job for the first time in like 18 years. But uh, yeah, so I learned like work mentality, like really quick, like, hey, if I can't figure it out, I'm going to work everyone else like out of the room. Right. Um, On the other side of that, like wanting to own a business or wanting to move up into management and stuff. Um, that's not something that was relayed to me. That's just something that happened to be in me and I was lucky to have, I guess. 
Um, I don't know where it comes from, but I just, I, I complacency to me is like, it, it's the scariest thing to me. I never, it, it's a good and a bad thing. Like if I learn a job completely, I tend to get bored with it and I'm like, all right, what else can I learn here? Right. And then I start looking mm-hmm. at that. What else can I do? Or, you know what I mean? So <clears throat> I definitely attribute a lot of where I'm at to what my dad taught me growing up. I mean, we built our own garage. I mean, we, we, we hunted, we fished, we, we had a farm that we worked on. We grew like, <laughs> I love everyone now. They're like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, organic, this organic, that I, that's what I was raised on. I didn't know that was a cool thing. Like my mom told me when I was like six or seven, we were in the store and I was like, wait, they sell meat in the store. <laughs> it blew my mind. Cause like we had cows and pigs and all yeah. that. So, uh, yeah, I mean that, that was a huge part of where I'm at now is like definitely how I was raised. Like, I'm so thankful that I had that influence. Cause I mean, look at the city, look at, look at, look at folks in the city and not having both parents. And, and, uh, you know, I work with all different people in the city. Right. Um, and it, it's tough. Like that there's not the right opportunities for these folks that the same thing that I had, right. I did, I had that leadership. I had that stuff. And, and how do we, how do we help these folks in this city with that type of stuff? Like you have the big brother program and stuff, but I don't think we have an, I don't think our government's doing enough to fix that. You know what yeah. I mean? So I am super thankful where I'm at because of who raised me. Yeah. What do you think about the state of men today? <laughs> very polarized right now. It's weird, man. Um, you know, I, I grew up very uh, blue collar and you know what I mean? Like, country. I mean, a lot of people can't tell that just because I guess I adapt well to environments, but, um, like you have the Andrew Tate stuff and then you have, um, a lot of other people, uh, on both sides talking about this, that, and the other, I think you're seeing a lot of softer men nowadays. Uh, we haven't had to deal with anything mm-hmm. like we, like you think about like my grandparents and even, my grandparents beyond that, like two world wars that they had to face, um, 18 year old kids over there for two or three years. Like, like all my friends in the military. Now we go over for six months and we're pissed off. We were saving longer. Right. Back then, dude, you had people over there for two, three or four years, Damn. not seeing anyone like fighting a war straight up and then not coming back until it was done. Um, and so you had harder men back then, but on the same side that we didn't have the same knowledge back then that we did now. So you had all these men coming back that didn't know how to deal with this shit. And so then you have this other generation that was raised by those men <laughs> that also, you know, dealt with that. So I think we have a lot better of an understanding of like what people go through. And I think you should work through that. But I think, uh, a lot of guys are, are too soft nowadays. They're, they're, we have, we have it really easy, mm-hmm. the, the easiest you've ever had in history. Yeah. I mean, think about this, like what, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, not everyone had uh, central heating and air. And now we had this ice storm and people were pissed off because it was out for a day. So it's just, it's interesting to see where we're at. And I'm thankful that I got to do the military and it helped shape me in a lot of ways. Um, it helped me get jobs too. Like it didn't help. I was interviewing every time I interviewed for a job, uh, and I'd be up against someone else and they may have more education than me or whatever. I would always go in there and they would always ask me about the military. 
uh, because they knew I had that like mindset. They knew that I could get the job done, all that. So like that helped immensely. And then, you know, I just, I'd tell them from what I got from my dad, I'm going to work my ass off. If I don't know how to do something, I'm going to figure it out. And too many guys today are like, Oh, I don't know how to do that. I don't know what I'm going to do. Like they just give up too quick. Right. We have a freaking the smartest computer we've ever had in our lives in our pockets. If you can't figure something out, like, what are you doing? Like, right. Like, like if you can't figure out how to work or you can't figure out how to do something with the job, like what the heck are you doing? You know what I mean? So those are the people you don't want genetics from. <laughs> I don't know if it's that. <laughs> no, those are not the people that populated the world. <laughs> the, the, like the people that populated the world did the hard shit. Oh, dude. Yeah. Like the people that are soft or like incel type people. Those are the ones that do the keyboard warrior shit. They don't ever accomplish anything. Well, and it's so funny you said that because, of course, I'm an Eagles fan and Joe Burrow just went down and mm. this guy called me a keyboard warrior because he was talking shit about the the Eagles. And I was just like, dude, just shut up. Like, <laughs> you, you got your guys lost. And he called me. He's like, meet me out here. And I'm like, really, man? Like, that's so I don't know. It would have been funny if you showed up. Right. Like I don't know. I don't know where he's at. Yeah. I just, I'm going to be like, yeah. Oh, I thought maybe it was somebody in Memphis like harassing you. <laughs> but but that's the other part about having this, this technology that we have now is it's, it's connecting us more than we've ever been connected in human history. Yeah. But then you, <laughs> it allows the weakest people in society to have a voice in a negative way. Yeah. Right. Like, like anything that pops in your mind, you should have to put it out there and everyone wants to hear it. And it's like, well, why, why? Maybe sometimes just keep it to yourself. Like they say, two ears, one mouth. People don't listen enough. They just speak without thinking about what they're talking. And they don't know how that their words are going to affect people. Because they don't care. Because it's like when you're on a screen, you're just an avatar to them. You're pixels. You're not a real person. If you put people face to face, like we were talking about this the other day. So back even like 110, 15 years ago, dueling was still a thing. Right? Yeah. So our president, like Andrew Jackson, didn't he do it a couple of times, like over nine times? <laughs> what dude was like Tennessee guy too. So, uh, but but the, the thing was, you never had to accept a duel, right? Mm. Like the only way you would do a duel is like you just yes or no, but you didn't want your name to be tarnished. Yeah. Um, I think there was one time it was crazy that Andrew Jackson knew this guy was better than him at dueling, and so he stood in a way. And he let the guy shoot him and he turned and shot the guy in the head. <laughs> oh, shit. And that's how he won the duel. Fuck, that's tough right hey, there, man. He won the duel, though. But nobody fucking up his name. I mean, that's a different wow. type of mindset yeah. versus nowadays, right? Like, like you're not going to let someone tarnish your name in any way, shape, or form. And you're willing to die for that. And we don't have that nowadays. Like, yeah. oh, I lied or I, I said I was going to do this and now I'm not. Or hell, I mean, it, employment wise. Oh yeah. I want this job. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do next day. You're not showing up. Like no one cares anymore about how you're perceived, right? Your word is everything. And if you can't keep your word to yourself, why would I trust you? Exactly. How are you, how are you getting people to come like (sighs) to work? Like, you know, that's a huge thing. Like when you were at the U hotel, like, did you guys have issues getting people to come? So the first thing that I did um, immediately is, increase the wages of not only the people I was hiring, but my employees at the hotel. Okay. Um, and I had to fight for that every little bit. Cause this big hotel, I mean, it was, it was doing, the hotel was in a, in a bad spot. Um, 
and they were trying to sell the hotel and they're still trying to sell it. Um, but with interest rates and everything, it's tough right now. Um, but I still had to run a hotel. So, uh, I made sure everyone got a raise that was there already. And then I started interviewing people with that new pay rate and that started bringing them in. So uh, the big thing to get people in is the pay part. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing to keep people, and, and I love the saying, uh, people do not leave a job because of the job. They leave it or, or because of pay normally it's actually because of the management. Yeah. People leave managers. Um, and so, you know, my, my employees, like they, they were like, well, there's, we have this bar on the roof or something. They're like, what are you doing up here? And I was like, what do you mean? They're like the GM before you was never up here. Or, uh, I had to work the front desk to fill in or make sure to cover for people or whatever. And so like showing up and helping that helped keep the, the, the employees that we had. And now we still had turnover. We still, I mean, cause everyone else keeps raising theirs too, which is a great environment for the employees. Like I'm all for paying more for employees. Um, but for this current uh, position I'm in, we've had to use temp services quite a bit. We just uh, put together um, a hiring um, meetup uh, at a community center down in uh, South Memphis. And that actually had a really good turnout. I think we had like 12 people show up. We scheduled them, put it out there, and we hired nine out of the 12. That's great. And six or seven of them actually were able to be onboarded. So it's getting better every month. Uh, but the key thing to bring people in is making sure that they're getting paid with what they should get paid. Um, you know, everything's so damn expensive right now. Uh, and, and you haven't increased the wages the way they should be at this point. And it's, there's, I don't think it's the responsibility of the government to do that. It should be the, 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 the companies mm-hmm. stepping up and taking care of their employees. Um, but yeah, so everywhere I go, I make sure that my employees are taken care of and that they're paid right. And, and, and that I'm there for them. You know, you need something, come talk to me. If you have a problem, come talk to me. Like I have an open door policy too. So, yeah. Well, because without the employee working in that bartending shift for that night or whatever it is, it would have been me. <laughs> exactly. And then without them, there wouldn't be a hotel or oh, yeah. club or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. We wouldn't have revenue. We wouldn't, I mean, there, there was um, a point, I think like there was like three or four days we had to shut down because the only bartender I had at that point uh, was sick or, or whatever. And so we lost out on like eight grand in revenue and in any business like that hurts. Right. So you need to make sure one, that your employees are taken care of and two, that you have enough employees to cover everything in case something like that happens. So it's been tricky for sure. I talked to, uh, I did an interview like two years ago when I was still at the Moxie and they were like, talking about that, but then the other one that people don't really think about, and it's gotten a lot better, but shipping lanes, like products, the textiles. So like our sheets and stuff like, dude, I I mean, it was so hard ordering stuff. Like, uh, I think our lead time on just pillowcases alone, were like two months out. Wow. Uh, it's just, we're not getting the stuff. We're not recovered completely from the products. I mean, you can see that from anything from like cars and everything else, but, uh, yeah, for hotels wise, I mean, it was tough. It's insane. Mm-hmm. So what's your next move? <laughs> so obviously I want to get, uh, front street up and going. Um, hopefully that'll be in about a month. Um, and then we'll do a grand opening. Uh, I was hoping for March, but with the delays, it'll probably be April. Um, we, <laughs> I want to, I'm going to like block off 
that block. Uh, obviously, it won't be like the fair back in the day, right? Yeah. But that would be kind of like the focus theme. Um, my team, we entered um, an axe throwing tournament uh, nice. and we ended up winning. And so we'll be able to have an axe throwing truck out front. Uh, we'll have DJs and food and all that stuff. So that'll be really cool. I'm really excited about that. Um, but then the next big thing, my passion and what I really, really want is, is to do something on Beale street. Um, and if I could pull that off, great. Uh, but if not, um, there's another concept that I've been wanting to bring to Memphis for, man, I've talked about it for like five or six years. It's really expensive to do, but, um, they have them. They're, they're bar arcades. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've seen them in other yeah, cities. They're awesome. Oh man. And we haven't had one here yet. That's like to like the, what is it? The new one called nerd alert. I can't remember it, but, um, I want to bring something like that to the city. Uh, I think that would be a really cool nostalgic type of thing. I'm, I'm all about like the eighties, nineties, you know, the old movies, music games. I mean, we're all nerds. Is it a little ways, right? So that's what I want to do. I think that's an awesome idea. It's it's not done here yet. It's not. To a full scale, like a full place like that. Mm-hmm. Peter got little places like um uh Nerd Alert over there on Cooper Young, I think is the area. You know, they but they so like there's a cage towards like um like birthday parties and stuff like that, you know, right now. But you can go in there, play games and stuff or like a fee and stuff. Yeah, this would be like focused as a bar. bar. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it'd be dope. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I mean as long as it's something that can uh like as long as it's something that I think I can enjoy and it's done right, I think, you know, there's enough people in this city that'll enjoy it as well. I hope. <laughs> so we'll see about that. But, um, yeah, I just want to grow and, and, uh, see where it carries me. Never thought I would be here, but I'm happy where I'm at right now for sure. That would be good on Beale street. You think? Yeah. Just where though? Down North Beale. Well, just take some of those stupid shops out, man. (laughs) (laughs) What, Schwab's? KR Schwab's or whatever? I don't think I've ever been there. Well, that one's been there forever. Like a hundred years. I never knew it was in there. So one of my friend Patricia was like, hey, yeah, we're over here. I'm over with my kids getting ice cream sundaes. I'm like, where on Beale Street you're at? And she told me the same thing. I was like, I've literally worked across the street from this place or on this street for a long time. And I never knew that's what they did here. Yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, it's, it was even in the movie Elvis too. They mm-hmm. like featured it in that too. But, uh, which by the way, Elvis wasn't even shot in Memphis. Like how crazy is that? Wait, was it not? No, it was all in Australia. Sure. One, 100% dude. All shot in Australia. So they made fake like fronts everything, of the building? Everything, bro. The fuck? Yeah. Like everything. So like all the actors, every, like, I mean, obviously they flew people in, but. Yeah, I was like, well, how are you going to shoot a movie and then not feature like true Beale Street or anything like that? I mean, it was an amazing movie. I loved it, but I was like disappointed on that end of it. It was really cool to see the history of Memphis in that light for sure. They say that uh, that lead uh, Elvis character, the guy mm-hmm. who played Elvis, he's going to win like the Oscar and stuff, or he should because he's such a good role. He did. Well, then did you see that uh, Tom Hanks' character is getting like the Razzie Awards and shit? Really? Yeah, everyone hated him, which was the point. Like yeah. Colonel Colonel uh, Colonel Tom or Colonel whatever he called himself. Yeah. He was he was not in the military at all. He just called himself that. Mm. Um I mean obviously he helped Elvis get to where he is and stuff, but then he took advantage of him. He was a 
He was a dirtbag. He and was that, a terrible character in that movie. Like you said, but that is a good point that, I mean, he's a good actor. So, so that means Tom to Cruise did a good job there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it was just, uh, it was interesting to see like, you know, how, I mean, everyone knows Elvis. Well, most people do. I mean, these younger generations are kind of forgetting about it, but um, it's what Memphis is known for around the world. I mean, to this day. And so it was kind of cool to see the history behind him and like seeing those aspects of Memphis, even though it wasn't technically Memphis yeah. um, and see where we're at now. You know what I mean? Like we still have Beale street. It's just a little rougher looking right now. <laughs> Speaking of movies, have y'all seen Babylon yet? Oh man, I can't wait. It's fucking good, man. Which who's in it? Everyone. Like everyone. Yeah. Is it like a Netflix movie or did you stream it? I think it's on Hulu or one of those streamings, but you have to pay for it. Yeah, it's It's uh, really fucking good. It's like it just came out though, didn't it? Yeah, but it's like what's the movie Leonardo DiCaprio? Inception? No. Departed? No, you're way off. (laughs) (laughs) Uh Shutter Island? Oh man. <laughs> Sorry, man. I'll stop. I'll stop. My bad. Titanic. Gatsby. Great Gatsby. It's oh, like great Gatsby. Gatsby on steroids. Really? Yeah. Is fucking, it back in that time? Yeah. Something uh, like it's just like old Hollywood. Interesting. It's fucking good, man. It's really fucking good. That's gonna be I'm gonna watch it now for sure. Because I love the Great Gatsby movie. Oh, dude, it killed. I mean, and I think they did such a good job on it. I remember when I was like, what I think it was like fifth grade you had to read it. Mm-hmm. Right? Something like yeah, yeah. F F. Scott's Fitzgerald. Yeah. Because yeah, even Toby McGuire, he's in this movie. Is he? Yeah, and I think he actually produced it. I heard Toby McGuire is like an asshole, asshole in real life. Yeah, I think that Molly's game was based on based him. on him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was just like he was just a he wanted to man. fuck and she didn't want to fuck him, man. So he well, then he wanted to make money off it too, and like not let her make any money, and, and he just would fuck with people too. Uh, which I yeah. guess if I was a celebrity, I'd go play poker and fuck with them to make money. Like, why would you not? But for him to treat her like that, like that was fucked up. I think you get in a bubble, you start thinking a certain way because everything's given to you. And I mean, so, like, some people just lose sight of reality, man. Because I, I think he was a star at, like, a young age, too. I'm not making excuses for him, but I think that probably plays a role. Into well, it. I mean, think about Spider-Man, dude. Yeah. yeah. Spider-Man, when it came out, like, that was the biggest, like, hero. That started, like, all hero movies. Because mm. that was finally, like, one of the biggest ones. I think it, like, set the record for a long time, right? Wow. And, uh, and so he was Spider-Man. So that probably fed into his ego because he was still relatively young at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He was like 22, 23, something like that. I'm, I'm happy that they brought him back in the new one. I mm. in, hands down one of my favorite new movies. That was a very good movie. Oh my God. The nostalgia in it and everything. Yeah. And, and now it's like hopefully launching like new movies on, on like amazing Spider-Man and all that too. So that's an exciting thing too. But yeah, he, he apparently was a, a jerk. And then he was he a part of that pussy posse. What's that? I think it's him, Leo, that Ian Suthley guy that was from like uh what is that Earl like Earl My TV name show? is Earl. Yeah, the big guy. Yeah, lost shit ton of he's actually in that Babylon movie too. Because mm-hmm. him and Toby are growing out our boys. And I think it's one of the guys from I think Conley. I think it's the guy from um Entourage. Yeah. The main actor? The bro the uh Oh, oh, Total? Kevin, Kevin no, the, the manager. Yeah. The man. Oh, yeah, that kid. So they're 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 like of... to call the pussy posse. What? <laughs> yeah, is that like our version of the Rat Pack? I, I hope yeah. not. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> no, but the Great Gatsby thing. 
I think that somebody needs to throw a really good one of those here in Memphis. They have a big, not here, but oh, yeah, a traveling one company. Yeah, does like a you, big saw party. It, you showed it. I think you sent it to me like last they do year. They were like in New York and Miami yeah. and shit like well, that. Well, so we're on our like, it's like the 100th year, like it's coming up on the anniversary and all that stuff of, of finally bringing prohibition, uh, prohibition to the end or whatever. And so the Gatsby parties are like focused on that. And I think they've done one or two here, but it hasn't hit the right way. Mm. Uh, but yeah, something like that in a big warehouse and do it upright. It's going to cost some money, but I think it would be pretty cool. But Are you, you going to do your party again? Do my party again? Yeah. Like New Year's? Uh, I want to start doing that every year. It's just, it was tough this year with, you know, the new job and everything like that. But um, I want to start doing more uh, concerts and, and throwing more parties like that for sure. Um, it's just I learned a shit ton from that first one, but I know there's a million more things for me to learn. And this time I'd actually like to make money off it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think you could make one from the New Year's with the Gatsby? I think that would be ideal for sure. Uh, I think that would, that would be a smart yeah, I'm move. I'm pretty sure you know somebody that might be able to help you a little bit. You I, think, I think there's someone. Around. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, but I mean, without Elizabeth, uh, for the last one, um, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah. And, you know, we'd only known each other, what, for like a month or two. And it just clicked, like, cause we worked together and we understood. I mean, there was friction for sure, <laughs> especially the night of, but it wasn't necessarily because of us too. It was just, we realized that a lot of it was put on our shoulders that we didn't expect. And like, there's a lot of moving parts. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you had to, you know, everything from finding transportation for, um, the person performing that night to where they're staying and then security. And I mean, there's tons of stuff to do on an event. That's, I mean, that relatively like that was like two or 300 people. So it wasn't that huge of an event, but dude, like so much went into it. And, and <laughs> I still think I have the list somewhere and then there's still more stuff missing from it. You know what I mean? Wow. You know, you're, you're moving and, and you had to be there to do it. And uh, like, again, the, the gratification of seeing the people there and seeing the experience that they're getting to have because of something that you put on was like one of the coolest things ever for sure. And hopefully we can do some more of that. Like I always say, it's so cool when you have an idea and then you actually see it come to fruition. Like there's one thing to just talk about doing something, but actually doing it. And most people don't do anything. There's a lot of people that talk and there's a lot of people that will talk shit, but they're not doing anything like their podcast. Like the podcast we're on, you know, Tony had the idea. Yeah. And then next thing you know, he was doing it. You oh, got okay. tired waiting for, tell him the story. I've told the story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got tired waiting for a friend because they were going to do it together. Yeah. And then he was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm getting the shit on it. You got it on Amazon? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You went on Amazon, bought like the recorder or some mics and shit like that. And uh, he did it. And here we are. Three years later. Well, and it's easy. I mean, it's easy to talk about something that you want to do. Like we all have passion for stuff. Like everyone does. It doesn't matter who you are, what you're doing, right? Everyone has a passion and everyone likes to talk about it. Uh, especially me. Like I have passions for stuff too, but it's easy to talk about it. And then there's that fear factor. I think fear is what holds everyone back, right? Like, okay, I want to do this and it feels good that I want to do this, but what if I fail at it? And then it ruins my passion on that. Right. But you know, I'm glad I did that party. And even though technically monetary wise, it wasn't a success in my view, it was a success because I learned a ton, um, you know, the experience sharing that and all that. So as soon as you start getting over that fear 
of failure, that fear of what other people are going to think. And I, I still have those fears 100%. Um, you know, I, I still have a job. I still have that day to day. Um, and you know, you listen to all these motivational speakers are like, just jump in. Like, I'm thankful the way I grew up. Like I grew up in a very poor area. You know, the first five years of my life, we were in a trailer park. Like, so, and then my dad just grinded and worked his ass off. And then we, you know, we moved to Memphis. We had a nice house. Um, the nicest house I ever thought I would ever live in looking back when I was like seven or eight years old. Um, and so like just having that mentality of like, I've already been there. I've already seen that side of it. And I think that that allows people like me that have gone through that same thing to have less fear on failure versus that rich kid in Collierville that, you know, has all that money for mommy and daddy had that jacked up truck and all that stuff. Well, he already has that fear of losing what he already has there. And he doesn't know what it means to survive. Mm -hmm. I was in, uh, Texas waiting for my orders. Cause I switched to the reserves and so I had to get a job while I waited. I was living in a sketchy area of Dallas and I was renting a room for like 300 bucks. And that was expensive for me back then. And I had two jobs, uh, technically three jobs. So I worked for two men in a truck. I night moved for another company. And then I worked on a, a farm ranch and helped around. Like I was breaking horses, which was interesting too. But like I, I had to work like crazy and I was surviving on ramen noodles and like, that was it. And I know people say like in college, they, they have to survive on that. I'm like, dude, you get like a, a fucking gift card thing that you can go use at the commissary too. And all that. So don't give me like, I literally had like one bag of ramen, like a day sometimes. Um, I mean, there was one point I was freaking cause I was by myself. I was like, like 20, 21 years old. And I was doing a move and a big dresser thing dropped on my leg. And I was like, fuck, I, I'm not going to be able to work. And if I can't work, I'm not gonna be able to pay for anything. And I'm barely making it now. And thankfully it didn't mess me up, but like imagine that going the other way. But anyways, like I, that kind of stuff makes you so much stronger. Yeah. I know like if I fail tomorrow, I can survive. I like where I'm at now. I like the money I'm making. I like all this stuff, but I know that if all that disappears tomorrow, I can survive. Am I going to like it? No. And um, like, oh, what if people think of me if that happens and stuff to you, which is, is an even bigger thing. But at the end of the day, I know I can survive any of it. And it's because of going through that stuff back then. So you don't understand it at the time. You don't know. I was, I was thinking, fuck, man, why am I doing this? Like, this fucking sucks. But without that, you know, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I'm so thankful for it. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I think struggle makes you appreciate shit a lot more. Like if you have to work for something, then it's something's just given to you. Just think of it as you're a kid, like you don't appreciate, you don't value money until you have to work for something. Like you think like something's nothing like, Oh, buy me that. Your parents are like, I can't do that or whatever. Or they finally get it for you. And then you just throw it to the side. But if you have to work for something, you're like, fuck, I'm going to take a, I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to appreciate this more because it's your time. And everything we've ever, we have is just hours that we can't get back. You know, that's the currency. That's one commodity that we can't get back as a time. So, it, you know, everything on this table is some time that I took out of my life. So I appreciate it a lot more because I had to work for it. Well, I remember one day when I first got my first paycheck from a Ajax, uh, I go, oh, that's the Miller house here. I go, I'll show it to Tony. I go, look, hey, can you look at my pay, or whatever it was on, you know? Like, can you tell me if this is right? And he's like... It's right. What are, we, what are you talking about? I go, 
but this is how much I made. This is all they give me. <laughs> He's like, welcome to the fucking real world, bro. Dude. Like, cause I had worked for my parents for so long, you know, uh, yeah. I didn't, you know, I, I, mean, I knew about it, but like, cause you, my mom would take taxes out of my check, but I, she was still deposit whatever money into my account for sure. my, my, you know, whatever it was. But so I never actually saw it like broken down. Cause when I was bouncing, it was, it was all this cash. Yeah. Every now and then you get like, um, you'd get a, a check, but you know, it'd be so li- low level <laughs> that you don't have to worry about it. But it was like a personal check, you know, so you know. But yeah, it was a long time, and I was like, I had forgotten what taxes looking coming out of your fucking paycheck looks like. It fucking sucks, and like I know it's not going to happen because you know the House and the Senate are so polarized. But the fact that they proposed getting rid of the federal tax income, I was like, hell yeah, let's get rid of that shit. I've been keeping an extra like, (laughs) like what ten grand a year probably or something. Like it's just insane how much they're taking. Well, it's just like when you think about a salary. A salary sounds sexy until you. Deduction C, everything they take yeah. out, man. Because yeah. I was like, oh, he's like, yeah. Because I thought they were shorting me of them. Like, you know, they were taking too much or something. He's like, no, this this seems about just right. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. I wish, uh, I was talking about this the other day. I don't know exactly how it would work, but I was thinking like this. So, you know how like companies like reimburse you for your phone and shit like that? And that's not taxed. I'm like, man, I wish a company, I could get paid like, the poverty level. <laughs> so, you know what I mean? Like 20 grand a year. Yeah. And then everything else is like a reimbursement. reimbursement. We're reimbursing you for your house, for your car. All, and then it wouldn't be, t- I'm like, dude, that, I don't know if that would work, but boy, would that be nice? Shit. Write up an LLC. Yeah. There you Get go. yourself out that. <laughs> but yeah, I don't like my taxes coming out of my checks. <laughs> That's the moral of that story. I'm sorry. The end. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's tough. I like, I like our state though. Cause you know, no, no state tax. Yeah. Um, so that's, that part's not bad. And then, you know, locally, you know, shopping and stuff like that. Like I remember like Pennsylvania, like where I lived, um, we live right on the border of there in New York. And so Pennsylvania's taxes were insane when it came to, uh, I think like groceries and stuff like that. So we would always go shopping up in New York cause their taxes mm-hmm. were better on that. And then we would go to Pennsylvania for like clothes and, and whatnot. So it was like weird, but, Unfortunately, even though we're in a tri-state here, <laughs> we don't get that benefit because like yeah. Arkansas and like Memphis and or, I mean Tennessee and Mississippi are just so close that it doesn't really matter on this. Yeah, one. on um groceries, the tax on groceries in Mississippi are so much cheaper than Tennessee. Are they? That's why that Walmart on Goodman or wherever it's, it's at, so close. It's so fucking busy. Yeah. It's like the busiest Walmart in like probably five hundred miles. Well, the other thing that um people don't know about Pennsylvania because uh, they think like laws down here for alcohol is weird because we still have dry counties, which is wild to me. Yeah. It's so it, like Jack Daniels is in a dry county. <laughs> that <laughs> is nuts. really weird. <laughs> but uh, uh, up there, um, it's state, if I remember this right, state run instead of like, you, you know what I mean? Instead of like other ones. So if you wanted to, you couldn't buy any beer from a store. So we'd have to go to a bar and they would sell us one case. And you had to buy individual bottles. So it was like fucking $40 for a case. Yeah. And you had to set that one outside and then go in and buy another one. You couldn't like take two out at a time or anything. So that's why like New York was so convenient. Like New York, it was funny. New York loves alcohol and hates guns and Pennsylvania hates guns and, or loves guns and hates alcohol. <laughs> it's like the opposite. You know what I mean? We were going to Spring River one year. It's in Hardy, Arkansas. And it's hard. Just about like. 20 miles outside of that Walgreens in West Memphis. Yeah. It's, I think it's when the, some of the dry county starts, you know, and we didn't get pulled over, but the car behind that was following us did get pulled over. 
and they made them pour out because we all buy from that Walgreens. Yeah. Like 30 packs are like dirt cheap, right? They made them pour out all the beer they had in the car. So you're not allowed to transport alcohol through a dry county. You, I mean, if you, it, it's you're not going to go to jail or anything. Or were you underage? Well, I, I, I was not. But, <laughs> but other people were. Okay, right? yeah. so yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Dang. a good part of story to tell. Uh, yeah, so like <laughs> they just made us pour out our alcohol. <laughs> so like our buddy that was in the car driving the car, he was 21, but everybody else was not 21. Gotcha. Yet. Okay. Or they're like 20. Some. Or, yeah. you know. And they made him pour out all the beer. But now also. Uh, the the troopers that patrol that area, they'll they'll also write you a ticket. So well, yeah, that's how they make their money. Yeah, a fat ticket for having mm-hmm. alcohol in the car. Man, I was uh, when I was still in Texas, I was driving from Abilene to Dallas because uh, a, a girl I was seeing lived in Dallas. It's a four hour trip, so you go straight to or no, sorry, it was in San Angelo is where I was at. So I'd hit Abilene and cut down, and in a span of like three or four weeks. I got two tickets, uh, $300 a pop. And I, I was barely going over the speed limit and it's a, it's a speed trap, but yeah. I learned real quick to not do that. Anyway. I mean, that's how they make their money in those small towns, right? Like that's how they pay for the cops, I guess. How close is New York to Philadelphia? Like, can you hit it in the same day? Oh yeah. I mean, you can take, uh, you can take, um, a train over. I mean, you can drive over. I mean, it's not far at all. It's probably like an hour and a half. Can you hit New Jersey too? Yeah. So a lot of it's funny when you're talking to Eagles fans and you're like, oh, are you from Philly? Like, that's the favorite thing to say, Um, which technically I'm not. I I spent the summers down in Philly, but I grew up upstate. Um, But a lot of them are like, oh, yeah, I'm from uh, I'm from Jersey. Like a lot of Eagles fans are from Jersey. Mm. Um, I don't know what it is, but yeah, Jersey is like right there, too. Like, it's very close. Like, there's so much population in that one little area. Is insane, and I mean, of course, Philly's massively smaller than New York is, but uh, but yeah. So you got because I mean, think about it. You got what three, three or four teams right there. Well, because Washington's yeah. pretty close too, but you got the Jets, the Giants, and the Eagles, and they all have games close to each other. And so, like, people from Philly can shoot over. Like, it, it makes sense for that oh, type okay. of thing. You know what I mean? It's not far at all. Uh, Jersey. Stadiums down in Jersey aren't far either. I, I think they're like two hours from from Philly if okay. you're driving. So, yeah, Just, I think I might try to hit some states while I'm up there. Yeah. I want to hit all fifty. I mean, I don't like Jersey that much. So I think it's a show. <laughs> we we would go uh, we would go to the 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 boardwalk. Yeah, right. Um, and I did that like way before that show came out. Jersey Shore. Mm. I remember like hanging out there thinking this is the coolest place in the world. And now like watching that show, I was like, God, they're right. It's such a <laughs> shithole. <laughs> Our friend Kelly um, and the, her family, they grew up right there. So they, they were doing the boardwalk oh, thing yeah. way before. I was like, so were you by the Jersey Shore thing on the TV? She's like, yeah, it was like literally across the street from us pretty much. And like during the day, it's like super focused on family stuff. Like you have like the little mini roller coaster theme park things and you have the beach and then you have that random guy messing with people under the boardwalk, putting the dollar up there and shit like that. Like, you know, it's, it's stuff like that. It's, it's fun. Like I had a blast when I was there, but, um, the nightlife isn't like, you're not on the boardwalk that much at night. Like you have to go into the city for that mm. kind of stuff. Of course. I mean, they, they were day drinking. And so most of their shots when they were on the boardwalk getting in fights and stuff was probably like seven or eight at night. You know what I mean? Like they were just stumbling around acting a fool and, you know, meatheads like to, <laughs> Battle it out. 
the, it, the show is back. Like it's, yeah, they brought it back, but like Sammy and uh, Ronnie aren't coming back. Oh, Ronnie's like dealing with some crazy shit too, isn't he? I don't, I don't know. I saw something pop up the other day. Like they, they all kind of. I, I guess, believe it or not, Snooky and like ended up being like one of the, the most sound people yeah. <laughs> out of all of them. Who would have thought that? Yeah, because I know Polly D. He DJs. Well, he was the oldest on the show too. Was he really? Yeah. So he was like. I think at the time of the show, he was like almost in his forties. Oh wow! Damn, really? Yeah, like he was he was relatively older than everyone else. I mean, no one could tell because he took care of himself, and he already had like a good DJing career at that oh, point. Okay, um, but they were interviewing Ronnie the other day about it, and Ronnie's like, "Yeah, I I met this random girl out at a club, and uh, she wanted my number, and I was like, yeah, here's my number, go away.' And then called him the next day. He was like, "Hey, come interview for this," <laughs> and he shows up to this house all boarded up. And this guy comes out that looks something similar to Polly D. He's like, all right, I'm in the right place. And interviews, and they're like, all right, you're living at the shore for a month. And he's like, we usually go there for like a weekend. What are we going to do for a whole month? Wow. So I can't imagine, like, that's such a weird thing. And he already had a business at that point. Like, he had a real estate business. Um, I think I think Snooky and, like, Sammy and uh, Wow were, like, the one. And then... Vinny like really didn't have much going on compared to the others. I don't even know if Vinny even has anything going on besides his fame from the show because he's he, making money. That's though. what I'm saying. Yeah, he's making a shitload to sell off the show. Yeah, he he's like one of the richer ones on the show. And he always does all of the like the the festival not festivals but like the the circuit like the talk show circuits and shit like that. He's mm-hmm. always hitting them. Like he's definitely making money. Yeah, I don't know if. Uh... That'd be fun in the Jersey Shore for a month, though. I would like to see the house, though, just to see it. Oh, the water is so dirty. Is it really? The, like, both, like, your faucet water? Yeah. Fucking gross. And then I remember going, I think it was there one time. We went down there for, like, vacation. Because, like, it was either there or you go to Maryland for, like, beach. Like, I know down here we go down to, like, the golf, right? So we were there, and there was this big storm. And so, like, the spillways, all the spillways go right into the ocean. And we're like swimming, like in this spillway area, you see like the thing and shit's floating up. All of us got pink eye. All of us got sick as shit. I mean, it is fucking gross up there. That's not good. Oh yeah. Don't go swimming. (laughs) That's disgusting. You sure you want to go to the Jersey Shore? (laughs) I didn't say I want to get in the water. Oh yeah, true. It's going to be a little cold for it anyways. Yeah. Fuck man. Yeah. You want to ask him your question? Yeah, sure. Uh, I got one question. Um, what is your definition of happiness and are you currently happy? Um, I think that's a good question. Um, I mean, happiness for me is just me. Okay. So I, I've gone through a lot of changes over the last, uh, 33 years. Right. Um, had you asked me this 10 years ago, it probably would have been a different answer than now. I think honestly, I realized that I used to make decisions based on other people, um, on what I thought was a good idea, um, and what other people expected of me. And I've realized now that the way for me to be happy is for me to just follow what I think is best for myself. Right. And not allow other people to influence on that. So I'm extremely happy with, um, my career. That's like my main focus right now is just that part of it. Um, but my relationship with my family, I'm happy that they're still down here. That makes me happy. Now, do I get to spend as much time with them as I used to? No. And that kind of sucks. 
but the fact that they're still here and we have each other that that makes me happy um i wouldn't say i'm content but i'm definitely happy with the trajectory of my life if that makes sense yeah that, that was the first part right what was the second part or was that the whole that was the whole question okay okay yeah sure. I'm, I'm thinking i'm reading the question in my head right now yeah that was the question <laughs> Yeah, I mean, everyone's happiness is going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, it just depends on, um, I guess, what you picture your life should be, right? Uh, I mean, I want to keep growing as a person in a lot of different ways. Um, I think uh, when someone finally, like, gets not contempt, but I'm trying to like figure out like if you feel like you're good and you don't want to like move anymore, that, that doesn't compute with me. Right. Like, Oh, I'm at this job, I'm making money and I don't want to move up or I don't want to, um, expand any more on knowledge or whatever. Like that doesn't, I can't understand that. Like I can't understand someone that doesn't want to grow complacent. Yeah. There we go. Complacent. Thank you. Um, and if I, if I was complacent right now, I'd be unhappy. Yeah. Um, do I think I could do better in my life? Yeah, absolutely. But I am super happy with the outcome of where I've worked to get to. And like, I've had failures. Everyone has failures. <laughs> I mean, I, I dropped out of college. Um, I, uh, you know, I was married before and I'm divorced now. Um, but like I've learned a ton. I learned school, <laughs> To me, like, I mean, yeah, if you go to school and, you know, that's important to you and you want to become a doctor, a lawyer or whatever it is, fine, that's cool. But if you're going to school for business or whatever, in my opinion, I I don't think it's do it for an experience. I mean, people go to school and get a communication degree, which is cool. Um, I think the experience is the bigger influence on your life than the actual degree is. Um and I knew like me dropping out and a lot of people were like, Oh, you dropped out. You're, you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to do like, that was the immediate thought. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm now competing for jobs with people that have f- fucking master degrees and I can beat them out yeah. because, uh, you know, I just worked harder too. So, I mean, it, failures are a good thing. And it took me a long time to realize that they suck in the moment. They really suck. Mm-hmm. A lot of them do, but, um, you know, I just one day realized finally that it's, there's no point in worrying about what other people think of you or what they expect of you. And you just got to do what's best for yourself. So I'm happy with that. Yeah. I think you can be happy with like the basic things in life, like food, shelter and all that good stuff. But I think you should, me personally, I think you should always want to strive for a little bit more. Absolutely. Like I would not be content with just, just getting by. Like that's not something I think we are designed to do more than that. And some people, they're, they're happy with that. They're just happy that they woke up, which is a good thing, obviously. But I just think you should, every day, should try to get a little bit better. Well, I mean, look at, look at how, um, like, elementary and, and high school are geared towards this. You know, they, you don't actually learn stuff that's going to help you grow as a human being. You just learn what they want you to so you can be that worker bee. Like, here's something to memorize turn this in, do this. And it's them teaching you how to follow instructions, yeah. right? I mean, history is important, mass important, all of it's yeah. important, but there could be so much better things. Like I think one of the classes I took and I learned more in this one class than I did anything else. I was um, in college. It was philosophy. It was like ancient political thought or something. And I had nothing to do with engineering, 
but it helped me like grow as a person because it helped you think outside that box. And like, and that's the type of stuff that you should focus on. You you can go and audit a class tomorrow. You don't have to go pay to go see that or, or whatever. Hell, you can pull them up online right now. Um, you can get a book and read it or whatever. But uh, I think too often where the, the way the system is geared right now, it's geared for worker bees and not for people to think outside the box anymore. And once you um, start changing that, I think the society as a whole will get better. But Mm. I don't know if it'll ever change. Yeah, I think you should use like your nine to five as to pay for your shit. But then I think your free time, you should always use that to better yourself, either physically, financially or mentally. Yeah, look what we're all doing here. Like we all have our nine to fives and you guys have this podcast that you're killing it out. And, you know, I'm. (laughs) <laughs> my spare time and like working on the restaurant doing this and that, the other uh, Elizabeth kills it in her free time when uh, her other business too. So it's like, you know, it's important what you're saying earlier. Time is the most valuable thing, right? Yeah. And it's how you spend it. And um, we're all guilty of wasting that time. But uh, as long as you're um, working towards something good, I think at the end of the day, it's going to pay off. How important is goal setting for you? And do you write them down or do you keep them in your head? Uh, I definitely have them in my head. Um, and that's why it takes me forever to go to sleep at night because mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm running through them in my head and I'm just like laying there and I'm like, God, I forgot this about that. <laughs> um, I know personally for me, it would be better for me to write them down and I need to be better at that. Um, the most important thing is realizing your shortcomings and again, my ADD and all that shit, like, that's just an excuse. Like I have medicine. I can, I can do that. I just need to focus in more on it. And I think I'd be way further in my life if I just was like, Hey, stop fucking around, focus in on it. And like, you know, start doing these things that all these successful people do. Like the information is out there and I'm guilty of this. Like I, I listen to these guys all the time, like uh, the motivational speakers and all that stuff. And the shit that they're telling you are the tools. And it's just like, simply pick them up and use them. And, you know, had I done that a long time ago, I would be a million miles more forward for sure. Yeah, I think mindset is everything. I mean, without a good, strong mind, we're not going to accomplish anything. You're not going to even get started. No. Yeah, you'll you'll just keep wishing for that goal, right? Like what we were talking about earlier. Like, it's great to have goals. It's great to want more. But if you don't do anything... What is the lack of action or no, the Michael Jordan quote is the best one. You're going to miss every shot you don't take. Mm, Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So, yeah, I just think that, uh, like I said, when you, especially what you're talking about with those people dying and you're seeing that death and it's like, fuck man, that's inevitable. We can't stop that from happening to us and to not try to do more with this life to me is just, it's insane. But sometimes, like I said, um, like, uh, out of sight, out of mind. So if you're not thinking about your death all the time, you're not going to consider it. And you're like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow's not guaranteed, though. And that's a lot of us. You know, we'll, a lot of us are guilty of that. You know, we'll put it off and, instead of just going for it. And it's also that fear thing. You're worried about somebody's going to think about you. Oh, they're going to laugh at me. But you're going to think, what are they doing? Well, I think it's important, like, going back to your happiness thing. I think the, the way to be happy is just going after experiences mm. um, and then talking about fear. Um, and then that run group. Uh, so I invited a friend to that run group and it's a goofy thing. 
right? When you're starting with that thing, you're circled up, you have beers and you're doing dances and you're doing chants and all this stuff to get you going and stuff. And my friend showed up for it. We get ready to go. We didn't even go on the run yet. We were just getting ready. Yeah. And he turned around and started walking home. I'm like, what's up, dude? He goes, no, this is too fucking weird. I don't want anyone to see me doing this. I'm like, dude, we're about to go to an area in Memphis that maybe like less than 1% of 1% of 1% of people have seen. Yeah. Like, why would you pass that up? And it's that fear, man. It's, I don't want anyone to think weird about me. Fuck that. I have a cool fucking story now. That is true. I have a memory that like, you know, money disappears, you know, people disappear, but my memories are going to stick with me forever. And I have some cool fucking memories that I'll always have. And I just want to keep adding to them. Mm -hmm. So, so what is your advice for people and what mark do you see yourself leaving on the world? Um, so as far as like advice for people, I mean, the, the big thing is just constantly working on yourself and for, and, and just focusing in on yourself and like letting everybody, everything else around you, your people, everyone else go uh, as far as like what they think of you and all that, like focus in on what you want, focus in on what's best for you. And then if you do that, then um, your life will become better. In my opinion, um, the mark that I want to leave. Um, and this is, so I joined the the Freemasons back five, six years ago. And as you guys probably know, it's, I was like the youngest guy in there by like 25 or 30 years. That organization has declined um, a lot because, um, you know, people don't care as much about gatherings and, and all that stuff. I saw it as a great opportunity because they, they focus in on what they're going to leave the world. Right. Um a lot of the most famous people in our history, uh, in American history and in the world history, like Francis Bacon, Thomas Jefferson, everyone, they, they were all f- involved in Freemasonry in some way or another. And their goal was to help everyone around them as much as they could. Like the, the, the thing about it is if you help more people than you're going to help yourself, it's going to help society and you'll be remembered like I can, I can start a business tomorrow. I can start, but it could go away and no one will remember you for that. But if I actually help society in, in a good way and it's going to last, that'll last longer than anything else. And so my mark on it is just, I want to, I want to get to a point that I'm able to help Memphis and anyone else in a way that it's going to like make this society that I'm in currently better. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what that is yet. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, and so that's why like, you know, Westies happens and stuff like that. Like it's always great to be involved in that stuff, the local communities and stuff. Um, just, I just want to be remembered that I did my best to help out, uh, my fellow man mm-hmm. is the best way to put that, mm-hmm. I guess. That's good. My last two questions are, what do you think happens when we die? And who would you like to give flowers to, like appreciation? Um, so I think when you die, you know, I was raised Christian. Um, I went down this rabbit hole a few years ago. I started reading all religions, um, you know, kind of comparing them. And it got really interesting. Um, I realized that. Uh, all religions have so many similarities across them. So when you look at Christianity, you know, we have our, we have God, right. And then we have uh, the angels 
and then Judaism and uh, uh, Islam obviously are all intertwined in that. But then you take it one step further and you start looking at like Greek mythology or, or Vikings. They have that main God and then they have all their ones right beneath them and stuff. And they all have that same kind of belief in a way. Um, obviously Judaism, Christianity and, and Islam differ very small as far as like, Oh, you got to believe in Jesus or all that stuff. But generally speaking, you should follow and be a good person, right? Like that's the, the whole thing. Um, as a Christian, I believe in Jesus and that's how I'm getting to heaven. Uh, I believe there is a heaven. Um, my dad grew up Catholic. And so I've had that influence of like, you know, purgatory and all that stuff. I don't know about all that. All all I know is that for me, I believe, and that's where I'm going. Um, but, but again, like it's so weird when you start looking at all these other religions and how similar they are. So it's like, mm, maybe there's some truth to all these. I think there was like this joke I heard a long time ago where, uh, um, a priest, a rabbi, and a, a pagan all go to heaven and they go, Hey God, so who got it right? And he goes, dude, you all got like 1% right. You know what I mean? Like it, it, there's so much knowledge in this world and we're discovering more and more in every day. We're realizing that there was people around 90,000 years ago, yeah. right? Like there's evidence of that when we all thought we've been around for 10,000 years. So it's like, how do you know everything? Like there's, there's no way like mm-hmm. we know a small amount, but yeah, I think I'm going to heaven. So um, and what was the, oh, flowers, yeah. right? Um, I mean, I gotta say, uh, it's definitely going to my mom and my dad. Um, you know, growing up with where we did and what we went through and for me to be here today, I was a shit at as a kid. You know what I mean? I think my mom pulled my ears so much that my ears should be like hang down to my freaking <laughs> waist. So they had to deal with a lot of bullshit, uh, growing up. But, um, without those two, I would not be the person I am today. Good answers, man. Your, your go, well, your question, your answer to where do we go when we die or what happens when we die? That's like the most in-depth one we've had. I think we've had some good ones, but I think yours, I could go a lot further with that. (laughs) (laughs) I've read a lot about it, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really cool once you start researching it. Cause like, I, I was just always curious, right? Like we have this Bible, Right. Like the Christian Bible. Right. And I was like, where the hell did this thing come from? And then I started researching more about that. And I realized we've had this thing written down for like 600 years. And out of that 600 years, there's been the Old Testament, the New Testament and the Apocrypha, which the Catholics still have. A lot of people don't know this. Right. The Apocrypha has like six to eight books in it, I think. Mm. And I was like, that's weird. Why the hell do they have that? And why doesn't my Bible have that? Yeah. For 90% of its existence, the Apocrypha has been a part of the Bible. And then like something like 80, 90, this has been a while since I read this. So the dates might not be right, but uh, this group was formed and they wanted to spread the Bible to everywhere. So they started uh, this group and it was started as a good thing, but then they realized they had to pay for it somehow. So then they started charging and selling books. Mm -hmm. Well, then the copyright laws came into effect. And then when the copyright, then they started changing it. So now we have like, Fucking a thousand different type of Bibles, right? You have the New King New King James Version, all that. Um, the one of the original ones was the Dewey Rams Bible from like six, seven hundred years ago. It was like German or Germanic or whatever, right? So then they started changing it more and more. Well, then they realized it could be a completely different thing. Let's just take the Apocrypha out of it. 
And so then they did that and then it became a business. Then they started selling it. So it started off as a good thing. Mm. And then man got involved and then money got involved. Root of all evil, right? Money. Um, and so I was like, well, fuck, if that's one thing, then what else am I missing? So then I started reading more about other, like when the Bible was formed and then it just, I just kept going more and more. Like it was just wild. The amount of information that we have now that like people just don't even look at. Right. Like it fascinates me to like learn why something is, or, and that's my engineering kind of brain too. But also like, if you're going to believe in something, why wouldn't you want to understand it? Yeah. Mm, You know what I mean? True. So and, you know, of course, <laughs> Southern Baptists. And when I start talking about this, people are like, what, you're reading this other stuff? Like, oh. <laughs> I'm like, no, it's nothing like that. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with it. Like, yeah. if anything, I found more proof on like the, the Dead Sea Scrolls were buried for 2000 years. And when they started comparing that with shit nowadays, the biggest difference was names mm. because it spread so much and names were like. Like Joseph and Joe would be like the difference. So you're telling me a document that sat dormant for 2000 years was able to be preserved and is now around now. And they compare the two. That's fucking wild. It is. So it's good to start researching this stuff. It's good to start seeing it. And it, it just cemented more into what my beliefs are. You know what I mean? Like, I think we're all connected. I think we're all, we all have enough information that we can make the decisions. And at the end of the day, I mean, we're all one person. We all come from the same people. And I think it's silly for us to get driven in. Oh, I'm a, even like in the Christian faith, you have like, I, I started going to church and like the Baptist, the Christian and the Catholic and you go and they mock each other. I'm like, bro, we're on the same fucking team. <laughs> what the fuck are you thinking? Yeah. So yeah, it's just weird, man. I'm, I'm all about like, I don't like the coexist thing, but I think like we're all connected and we all, you know, should share in that and work together and not work against each other. Just go with the golden rule, man. Be nice to each other. Absolutely. So where can everybody find you at? Um, I, uh, I'm on Instagram. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, my Instagram name is R Mikey Marsh. So R Mikey M I K E Y Marsh made it along. My middle name's Michael. So oh, okay, yeah. Um, I'm on Facebook, Ryan Marsh. Too, you can find me on there. Um, and then of course, if you want to follow uh, Front Street, it hasn't been really that activated yet. Like it's still kind of dormant now until we get going. But uh, we do have an Instagram um, as well, so you can follow Front Street Deli as well. So. And you said it's going to be open probably when. So we're, we're in there now. We have most of the stuff built out. We're waiting on the equipment to ship in. So I'm thinking no more than a month now, but I've been saying this for like a year and a half. (laughs) But yeah, we're like really, really close. So about a month. You'll have to let us know, man. Let everybody know and we'll share and do everything we can. Absolutely. Have taste of the 901 come down there. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 I've worked closely with them and everyone else. Yeah. She just did a thing with four Ibis and it's already blowing up. Really? Yeah, her story. I saw it the other day or yesterday. Well, I'm going to have uh, one of the best uh, marketing, social media marketing people helping me, Elizabeth Sullivan. <laughs> she does that? I thought that goes to Sling's Red Bull. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely going to be uh, helping me market, market that a lot. Hell yeah. Well, I appreciate your time today, man. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys for bringing me and in. If you talk to her, maybe she can come on and do the show one day. I'll maybe, try to convince yeah, her. Yeah, you know. <laughs> Thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate you.